0: Welcome to the Pop Culture Coram Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Wright, and I'm joined here tonight with Jared Moore, my regular co-host. Jared, my friend, it is a wet and windy evening in, in Middle Tennessee. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man.
1: Doing great. Just got home from church and... Doing well. And hey, uh, we just finished our manuscript for the book we've been working on for like five years. And so I'm pretty pumped about that. We're seeking publishers.
0: Good deal. Good deal. I'm really excited to hear that. I, I, I've mentioned on a previous podcast that uh, the one chapter I've read uh, is the one y'all wrote on sports, a Christian approach to sports. And it's the best thing I've ever read on a Christian approach to sports. So I'm I'm really excited to hear that. And I'm, I'm hoping you get published right away. I'm, I'm ready to buy a copy.
1: Uh, That's that's uh, that that chapter. What's interesting, man, is we've so the manuscript is about 375 pages, but what you read is actually a second book, like it's
0: not even we're not done with that book yet. Um, We've actually written about actually, now that you say that, I think I knew that and I'm embarrassed, but anyway, press on. We've actually written about 500
1: pages, I guess. Um, So the first book is you know, encouraging parents to engage pop culture with their kids. And then the second book is genre-specific, like how do you engage specific genres with mm. your children. And so the sports one, and then we've done one on fantasy. Um, we didn't do comedy, but I'm, I'm I'm supposed to do the horror chapter.
0: Okay. Well, good. I'll give you uh, – I'll, I'll assume you're going to, to do really well on that because I've heard you talk about horror, and I'll look forward to both books coming out. How about that?
1: Well, I'll just steal all your ideas about horror, man, but I ain't going to – I ain't going to mention you, though. I'm yeah, just going to
0: plagiarize you. That'd be good. That'd be good. Um, hey, on your sports chapter, I'm about to throw you a curveball. Sure. Did y'all address any of uh, this phenomenon where we've seen male-to-female transgender athletes can be, compete in like combat sports, wrestling, we, and mixed martial arts and stuff? We did not. Oh, man. you got to go back in and add that. It's not too late. And
1: getting into some thorny... It's not thorny for us, but it's like if you've got a kid that's in that secular world in sports, like ethically, I mean, you you get into some thorny stuff that way.
0: Well, I'll just tell you, if I had a son that was competing uh, as a woman, I would be mortified. But then if I had a a daughter who was competing in a combat sport, I'd be mortified. And if I had a kid like, you know, if I were in track or something and there's a, a, a male who is competing as a woman, I would be throwing a fit. I would probably be an embarrassment to my family, but I would be chewing out the ref, the commissioner, the school superintendent, the TSSAA, whoever was letting that farce go on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, uh,
0: It's crazy land, man. I can't imagine sending my daughter out to compete against a man physically and being like, hey. Just uh, just remember, honey, triangles are round, and rivers run uphill. And this is a fair competition.
1: Have fun. Yeah, it's it is lunacy. Um, and it it's so frustrating because of the the obvious male, female. I mean, any person with common sense can tell the difference. <laughs> and, yeah. and then to just say, well, you can just choose to be other than you
0: obviously are. Um, it's ludicrous. Like, it's just, uh, you know, I wonder, you know, I wonder if your daughter's on the track team and some guy who's chosen to be a woman is competing. If your daughter could just choose to be an eighth grader and compete against eighth graders, you know, she's, she's a freshman or a sophomore in high school and she could just choose to compete against elementary school kids. I, you know, we, we're so hypocritical with this stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it's weird. It's... This is why you need to write on it. You need to give some clarity here. It's time to add that into your chapter.
1: Mm. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, you're talking about like adding another 20 or 30 pages, probably. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, all right. Enough about these forthcoming books that we're all going to be looking forward to. And uh, we will announce when they're published. We're hoping soon. Uh, but when when we have further details, we'll announce it here on the Pop Culture Corundale podcast. Hey, um, Jared, I think it's time for our first segment, the long awaited since, you know, we recorded last time.
1: What you
0: watching? What you watching? What you watching? And buddy, what you watching? Dude, I've watched a show on Discovery Channel called Gold Rush. You ever watch a show? I have not. Is this um, is, is this a product of Discovery's normal, normally high academic and, and scholarly standards as they investigate historical subjects?
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a it's a reality show, actually, of, of dudes digging out digging gold out of the ground in Alaska.
0: Really? Is there a yeah. lot lot to be dug out? There is.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah, they're millionaires. Several of them have, you know, they'll. I think they did six thousand ounces last year, like in a season, like the summer. If ground gets too frozen. You know, there's only a few months that they can actually dig it out. Um, but what got me, what got me on it, was the first season was just a bunch of guys from Seattle that got the idea. I want to. Well, you know, the the dad. There was a dad who was probably in his sixties, and then there was a son probably in his forties. And they just decided they wanted to. He wanted to spend his life savings to go try to dig gold out of the ground with his dad, and and so they they had never done it. I don't know. It was just it was fascinating. It was one of the most. Dude, I want to say when it first started, it was up there as far as viewer ratings with The Walking Dead. Like it was, you know, I want to say like top five or top ten at least, really, hmm. as far as viewers. Like one of the most high, highest rated shows on Discovery Channel for sure. Um. But it's just it's a neck and neck
0: story. with like ancient aliens. I don't know if that's the discovery <laughs> show. or not. I think it is. Um, <laughs> it was aliens, dude. Sorry. <laughs> There's gold in the ground, dude.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, but anyway, I like. I, it's just cool. Like they make it look like hey Jeff, you and I, we could just drop everything and go dig gold out of the ground.
0: False. <laughs> 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 Dude, I, I get so angry when it's like 40 degrees at my house. I can't even imagine. <laughs> it would be like a new Donner party uh, if oh, I went wow. to Alaska to, to do anything outside. I would just be the most hostile person right before I froze to death. Hey, It's like 60 there, man. It's summertime. <laughs> You've seen The Shining, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, we don't commend in that movie. There's there's nudity in that movie, but uh, we've both there seen it. There is? The, yeah. The, uh, the woman in 237 who gets out of the bathtub. Oh, I do not remember that. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. Um, but anyway, at the end of the movie, uh, you see Jack Nicholson who's been staying out, <laughs> sitting outside all night in Colorado. That's exactly what I would look like thirty six hours into uh, <laughs> our gold digging expedition into into Alaska. That is hilarious. <laughs>
1: <But> anyway, <laughs> I've been watching that show and um, I enjoy it. It's one of those like it's one of the few shows that you can put on. When all your little kids are under around and uh, and watch do you, it,
0: do you like to do that pretty often? Like rather than watch your kids or interact with them, you just put a TV show on. Is that is that how you're approaching parenting? Um, just like
1: ninety five percent of the time.
0: <laughs> well, good, Jared. I think that puts you in like the, you're in the top three percent of American parents now. Hey, well,
1: I've been writing a book on parenting, like engaging pop culture with your children, and I, in order to write the book, I couldn't actually engage pop culture with my kids.
0: Yes, I, there you go. I, I had to put my time into the book. I'm being very sarcastic, folks. Friends, that is the art of the spin right there. Jared more. <laughs> well played, my friend. No, I just uh, So what do you find so compelling about this this show? Is it is it the the chance that that you might watch somebody hit it rich?
1: No, it's the I don't know, just dudes with heavy equipment getting I mean, you know in ministry, we don't really get get our hands dirty per se, like you can't uh, you know, it's like mowing your yard or something. You can see the grass is cut. In ministry, you're forming men and women disciples, and it's like a long, drawn out process that's hard to see immediate results. Mm, mm. I mean, you you dig that gold out of the ground, dude, and it's there. Like you hold it in your hand. <laughs>
0: yeah, sure, sir. sure. And so and you can weigh it out, and yeah, I get it, I get it, and I
1: can see, I can see the. Uh, yeah, it appeals to me. Plus, there's this, there's this weird dude on there. He looks kind of like a Viking. He's got a real long hair and his name's Tony Beats. Rough as a cob, man, but he's got to be worth like 15 or 20 million dollars. He's he's like a gold expert. It's just fascinating. Like a, he's not a country dude. I think he's from the I think he's from the Netherlands. Maybe he's from the country in
0: the Netherlands. Maybe he's a country dude from, you know, he's a Nordic country dude.
1: Yeah, he does not look like a rich person, but I mean, they're digging out. Like he's he's got like Anyway, I don't want to keep talking about the show, but, but that's what I've been watching. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: Well, in, interestingly enough, I've been watching some stuff with uh, Gold Digging Ties as well. Have you, are, you, are you familiar with this movie called The Sisters Brothers? The Sisters Brothers. That sounds so familiar. What is it, what is it about? It's got Joaquin Phoenix in it, and it's got John C. Riley as these outlaw... Like Cowboy Brothers,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, it's also got Jake Gyllenhaal in it, and Riz Ahmed, who played the Riz Ahmed played the bad guy in Venom. Oh yeah, so how did I not see this movie? Well, it, I heard about it, but I don't know that it got a huge wide release. At least not in Cookeville, Tennessee, and Crossville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the IMDb summary is: In 1850s Oregon, a gold prospector is chased by the infamous duo of assassins, the Sisters Brothers. And that title—that's scary. Yeah, the title and that John C. Riley is in it probably makes it sound more comedic than it is. Mm-hmm. In, in my mind, it's a straightforward western, and I really like western movies. I—I mm-hmm. um, I would recommend it to you. I don't believe that I—I I don't think I saw any nudity or sexual stuff. They go to like a bordello at one point, but the girls are all. The best I remember, they were all well dressed, and really the only thing you see immoral while he's there is that he's obviously one of the brothers has gotten stoned. Mm-hmm. But uh, they get mixed up into this gold prospecting scheme, and um, I don't want to—I don't want to give too much away, but it—it it was a pretty. It was a somber movie, and it was also really interesting. Um, the the thing that's particularly interesting about it is that this movie made me realize that John C. Riley is at least as good an actor as Joaquin Phoenix, and I hold Joaquin Phoenix in really high regard. It, it's that's just interesting, yeah. It's just weird watching John C. Riley not be the goofball next to you know Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, he's great in this movie. And I, I don't think he gives one bit of ground to either Joaquin Phoenix or Jake Gyllenhaal. I think he's at least as good, if not better, than both of them. That's great. So yeah, it is. I'm, it's I'm glad Joaquin. R- oh, sorry.
1: Glad Joaquin has, has hung up his rap. You know, his rap. Uh, he's left career. his rap uh, career.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Just, just like me, left his career. rap career behind and pressed on to other things. Um, <laughs> Jeff. You didn't know I had a mixtape? It was the hottest mixtape of 2012. With how much rap music you've listened to in your lifetime,
1: I bet you money you could rap. I bet you could rap a hundred songs from memory. You're probably
0: right. On our podcast right now. Well, I couldn't because we're a family-friendly, Christian-oriented, faith-based podcast here. But yes, the rap I listened (laughs) to was not exactly edifying. I, I have some regrets. Let's say it that way. Um, on the Sisters Brothers, it is rated R, and IMDb says for violence, disturbing images, language, and some sexual content. I was watching this while I was doing paperwork, but I don't remember any sexual content. So uh, if somebody watches this and sees something scandalous, please please forgive me. It just missed my, uh, missed my radar, but I thought it was a really good movie. Hey, where'd you get it at? Where can we get it? I think I watched it on Amazon. Okay. Cool. Yeah, um, my wife likes westerns. Her
1: her dad's like Mister Western, so she had westerns on all the time.
0: That's exactly why I watch westerns. It's one hundred percent. My dad wouldn't really watch movies unless it was a western, and I think that's why I love them so much now. (laughs) So that was a good movie I saw. I saw the one of the worst movies I've seen ever, and definitely the worst movie of two thousand nineteen. Wow, it sucked so bad. It's hard for me to describe just all the ways it sucked. I'll tell you this, I thought it might suck, and I gave it a chance, but since I had suspected it might suck, I had stuck earbuds in my pocket, and I just listened to an audio book for most of the movie. Wow. Are you sitting on the edge of your seat? You want to know what it is? Yes. It's A Dog's Way Home. You watched A Dog's Way Home? Yeah, so my kids, uh, we we have a friend who every year at Christmas gives us just a generous amount of gift cards to to our local movie theater, and my kids got a wild hare to watch a movie this past weekend. I thought that'd be cool because none of them have seen Aquaman. I'll take them to see Aquaman. Well, we kind of settle on that Friday night. They wake up before I do. So does my wife on Saturday. By the time I stumble bleary eyed into the living room, they've all decided we're going to go see a dog's purpose instead of Aquaman. And I'm miserable. inside. I even got out. I was like, let's watch the Aquaman trailer and make sure you want to do this. They did. And so putting on my best false face, I led them into AMC theaters to watch A Dog's Purpose. It's a terrible story. It's one of the dumbest stories (laughs) I've had to subject myself to in quite some time. Uh, And then there's just all kinds of craziness. So at one point, there's basically two bad guys. Spoiler alert for A Dog's Way Home, by the way, (laughs) listener. Here's the thing. If I'm ruining this movie for you, you should just thank me. You can send a thank (laughs) you to... PC, CD pod at gmail.com. I'm really serving you on this point. So there's two bad guys in this movie. One is a guy who has bought these two lots that have basically condemned trap houses on them. And he's gotten a permit to tear these down and build some kind of productive structure on the lots. But he can't because there are stray kittens living underneath, you know, the ruins of this trap house. Well, so he pays animal control to come get all the cats. They say, hey, we got all the cats. Go ahead. He goes ahead. And this do-gooder, who's supposed to be the protagonist of the movie, comes to stop him on behalf of the cats. And at one point, they're like bickering about how there are no cats under there. Yeah, there's totally cats under there. The guy fires up the backhoe. And you know what cats do when they hear a backhoe fire up? What? They ran away. So anyway, he's the big scumbag because he wants to turn these dangerous, condemned houses Into something useful to the community instead of letting cats live underneath the ruins of, you know, these awful eyesores that are, you know, dangerous to everybody around. So that's the first bad guy. The second bad guy is the dog catcher, and Mm. he's a city employee. Uh, He's part of the police force. And the first bad guy turns the do-gooder guy in for having a pit bull, which is illegal in this city. And so... The the other bad guy is the dude who the government paid to do his job. And he's a bad guy because he takes his job seriously and wants to do what the law says. Now, you know me, I'm, I'm politically, I'm a pro-life libertarian. I think there's very little the government should be doing. Mm-hmm. But after the movie was over, I was telling the kids, like, if anybody's a bad guy in this situation, it's the government for having a dumb law. It's not the guy who's like, hey, I've got a job to do and I'm going to do it. And so I'm just explaining to them how the the guy who wants to develop dangerous property into useful property is not a bad guy, even if he chases cats off. And the the guy who's trying to just do his job is not the bad guy. If anything, the government's the bad guy for having a dumb, dumb law in the books. And then about Mm -hmm. halfway through the movie, this dog, you know, she's separated and trying to get back to her family. Uh, She comes under the you know, she becomes the possession of two gay guys. And they're like at their home having a drink of wine on the on the love seat and clearly living together and all this stuff. Now I asked my kids just trying to figure out what they saw from that. I said, "What did you think about when they ended up with those two two guys?" And they said, "Oh, basically they got down to they were either roommates or brothers." Which uh, the brother theory was particularly delightful to me because one of the guys was black and one of the guys was white. <laughs> And I was like, great. That's, we're just going to leave it right there. They were brothers. They were brothers who like to drink wine on a love seat sitting next to each other. <laughs> but I mean, there's literally nothing good about that movie. <laughs> it's so disgusting. And it just frustrates me to death that my kids went to watch it instead of Aquaman. I feel like I've really failed as a parent. I should have made them watch <laughs> more gold digging. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, a, a dog's way home is hot garbage and feel free to avoid it at all costs. I enjoyed that story, man. It was an awful I'm, movie. It was an awful I mean, movie.
1: That is the, that's something good that has come from this, though. I enjoyed you telling the story of how
0: awful it was. Well, I mean, I, I'm thankful. I'm, I'm truly not sarcastic at all when I say I'm <laughs> Just glad I could serve everybody that way. All right, man. Anything else you're watching? No, that was about it. That and Glass. Okay. Well, then let's get into our next segment. So sorry to interrupt. And Jared, I know I did this to the nth degree um on our last episode, but the only thing I really want to talk to you about is Oscar nominations. And since I did do that to the nth degree last episode, you got anything we can talk about first? Yeah, I want to talk briefly about the the
1: preview for the movie Prodigy. Yeah, okay. I know the movie you're talking about. Yeah, so evidently the the emphasis is on, you know, the preview starts out with this kid who, you know, he's born, he's growing up, and he's the parents notice that he may be gifted, you know, he may be a genius, his intelligence doctors are telling him his intelligence is off the charts. And so then it it goes to the kid, he's probably seven, maybe six, and he picks up a spider. He's holding the spider in his hand. And all of a sudden he just kills the spider and the music changes. Um, but it's, just, it's, it's kind of like the movie, the good son, I guess with Macaulay Culkin back in the day. Yeah. Um, when it's this super intelligent kid, but he's got something wrong
0: with his brain or mental illness or something. And um, I mean, if he's killing a spider, he's got something right with his brain. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's what I was. I laughed out loud. Like I embarrassed my wife when we were watching glass because of this preview. Because I laughed out loud when he killed the spider because they were acting like, oh, this this proves how e- this kid's evil. <laughs> you know how many spiders I've killed? I mean, when there's a spider in the house, all the kids and my wife are, Jared, come, come kill it. And, uh, or I'm yelling for them to come kill it because those things are nasty. But, uh, but anyway, I, I just thought that was so fun. I just wanted to talk briefly about how – and it, it sounds like <laughs> your dog movie too because – Oh, leave the building so the poor stray cats can have a place to live.
0: Don't kill the spider. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I, I saw that same one. There are two trailers for that movie, and they make it look like a completely different movie each time. Have you seen both of them? I don't think so. I think I, this is only one. Okay, so the one you watched, I think, makes it look like this is an evil kid who's super gifted, right? hmm The other movie... Is, the the other trailer suggests that very strongly that this is a movie. This is a possession movie. Oh wow! That there's an alien intelligence that has taken up residence in this child's body. Huh. And I'll I'll just be honest with you. I think you said off air you didn't remember this. But when we went to watch the possession of Hannah Grace, I saw this trailer, mm-hmm. and it had one of the best jump scares, one of the most original jump scares I've seen in years. And i mean I'm saying this as a guy who watches. You know, more horror than most anybody else I know. Uh, and it had one of the most original jump scares in the trailer. And so I I'm pretty excited for this movie. But this movie is either, yeah, again, just another possession movie, or that the trailer you're talking about makes it look like it's gonna be similar to that movie Brightburn. Have you seen the previews for that? No, uh uh-uh. uh. So Brightburn, I I'm really looking forward to it. Um it's uh it's if Superman came to Earth and was evil. So what if the child who crash lands in the cornfield in Kansas is born evil rather than able to be shaped by Midwestern values and become a hero? Hmm. And I've been saying for a while that a full-blown superhero horror movie needs to be made. You know, we got shades of that in Venom. Mm-hmm. I think Brightburn's going to gonna be that. There, you know, there's some comic books that are very similar, like Krypton's, uh, not Krypton, uh, Red Sun is this uh, this Elshord's title where Superman grows up in a totalitarian regime, and so he's, yeah you know, he's an evil guy to westernize. I, I really, I'm excited for that movie, and, and that second trailer makes Prodigy look like it's you know, the same style. So I think it's going to actually end up being a supernatural movie, hmm. but, uh, yeah, two totally different trailers for the same movie, and they, they lead you to wildly different conclusions.
1: Well, that was, that's how I felt about Us. I saw a new Us trailer, mm. and uh, it threw me off. Well, don't tell me a the thing
0: because I hate trailers for movies I know I'm going to watch, and I couldn't be more excited for us. Did, did you have you seen two trailers for it? No, then? I, I wouldn't have seen the first trailer if I could have helped it. But we were we were watching the NBA on Christmas Day, and I was just sitting there watching basketball, and it came on, and I didn't want to like run out of the room in front of everybody, so I ended up watching it. Well,
1: that movie's going to scare me to death, I'm afraid. Yes. Uh,
0: yes. Put it in my veins. I cannot wait for that movie. <laughs> well, my kids caught the first
1: trailer. Oh, my. they were – well,
0: we were all sitting there watching basketball. And they were
1: like, – it really – they were talking about it several days later. Like, my six-year-old, Ian, be like, that boy <laughs> –
0: I don't that think my six-year-old would, I think he'd be sleeping <laughs> in my bed every night.
1: Well, he really messed with him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he he would bring it up several days later. That boy took off his mask and it was the same boy. <laughs>
0: <He was> just... <laughs> Poor Ian. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, I mean, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I was watching it with two grown men, like in their 30s. <laughs> and one of them said, man, are you guys kind of creeped out right now? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I am. So, That's bring good. it on. It comes out in April. I think is it like Easter weekend? I don't know, maybe. I mean, man, when we hit April, it's just good movie, good movie, good movie, good movie every you know every weekend. so, hmm. looking forward to that. Was that the only thing you had to talk about in So sorry to interrupt? I believe so, man. All right, well, because I'm interested in award season and because the Oscars are kind of the granddaddy, I'm gonna throw some of these nominations out. To you, uh, you tell me what you think about the nomination and which one you'd pick. Okay. Okay. Uh, for best picture, Black Panther, Black KKK Klansman, or whatever, Bohemian Rhapsody, the favorite, which is it's a made-up story about like Victorian England where the the queen has these two women in her court that are competing for her favor. Okay. Green Book is the one I think we talked about last week where, you know, this uh Ving Rames is hired to drive this African American <laughs> musician around the deep south. What what in the world Is it mate? really Ving Rames? I'm pretty sure it's Ving Rames. No, it's Big more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I know why you're laughing. And, uh, my bad.
1: Dude. <laughs> Couldn't have watched that any worse. Big Raves is like
0: this giant black fella. Yeah, that'd be a different movie. That'd be a different <laughs> movie. That would be a Tarantino movie. <laughs> Uh, Aroma, which I still can't even stand to watch the trailer for. They
1: showed the preview for it, and I'm like, I do not want to watch that movie.
0: No, I I think it would be worse than going into a coma. Um, A Star is Born and Vice, which is the Dick Cheney takedown pick that uh, Christian Bale stars in. Mm -hmm. So first question, any of those movies surprise you being on the list? Best Picture, I mean...
1: I think Bohemian Rhapsody surprises me a little bit. Me too. Um, me too. I really liked it, but
0: best picture of the whole year? Well, you know, we, we got onto the Golden Globes, I think, for nominating Green Book, but not Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Because they, they're both doing the same thing. And I haven't seen Green Book yet. I will see it, Lord willing, but I saw mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody and thought it was awesome. Um, so I, I guess I, I'm going to like doff my cap to the Academy for putting both of them on the list rather than one or the other. Um the one that's surprising to me is Black Panther. Hmm. I, you know, usually the Academy won't consider popular movies as a candidate for best picture. Okay. And I can't remember any time a superhero movie got mentioned as a, a possible best picture nominee, let alone, you know, actually get nominated. hmm And so I, uh, yeah, I you know, kudos to the Academy for that. I mean, I think this list, unless it's Roma... This list already pretty much guarantees we're going to get a better movie than last year, which was a, a movie about a, a woman who has sex with a fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that was, that point? might be the most disappointing movie I've ever seen. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's just uh, it's ridiculous in all all viewing angles. I, I wonder too if it didn't if that movie winning didn't create the biggest problem I have with this list. Don't you think a Quiet Place should be on this list? Yes, absolutely. I think it's the best movie of the year. I think Infinity War should be. I, I thought
1: Infinity War was better than Black Panther.
0: I know you disagree with me on that, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand it's an argument. Um, I, I would go Black Panther, but I, I get what you're saying. I don't know. It, it must be that it just took such an incredible amount of energy to get a superhero movie onto the list of nominees that they could only do one. Hey, what was your what was your third? Do you Remember what your what number three was on your list? Uh, I can, I think I can find out pretty quickly while we continue to talk. Why do okay. you ask? Cause, cause I was just wondering if it made the list, like if it should have been on there. Yeah, I gotcha. So while I'm looking for that, we can just take a minute and grope about how a quiet place didn't make the list of nominees. The only thing I can think of is that they did what they considered a horror movie as a nominee last year and ended up giving it the prize and so they decided well we can't do two horror movies in two successive years you know mm-hmm. uh, and if that if that's the case I'm just disgusted because a quiet place as a movie is light years better than that stupid uh, shape of water just mm-hmm. again in every single Viewing angle, it's a better movie. And it just frustrates me to no end that it got left off while, you know, Guillermo del Toro won a a stinking Oscar for that hot garbage. You know, it it seems unjust, Mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. Now, Michael Shannon could have won something for that movie, but I think he's the only one. Yeah. So I don't know if we've talked about this on on the podcast before, but my favorite guy to play a bad guy is Michael Shannon. I think he just does crazy in a way that few other people uh, now do. <laughs> and I love watching him be crazy uh, in in a movie. So, yes, uh, I I'm I'm with you in that he could have, you know, garnered some praise for his performance, but man, that movie was just uh, it was ridiculous. It you know, I guess in some ways it was a pretty movie because they clearly made pains to to uh, To give you a visual world that was pretty compelling, but otherwise there there's no redeeming quality in the shape of water. In fact, it's the kind of movie that I think thoughtful people should just avoid because it's mm. it's promoting such unhelpful things. Yeah. Um. And yeah. Again, that that uh, that a quiet place gets left off is just it just drives me up the wall. Mm-hmm. So let's see my list of best. I think. Uh I think I had done a combined list and so I did Haunting of Hill House is the best thing I saw last Um, year. That's what it was, yeah, number three. And then A Quiet Place and then uh Black Panther, I think is the order I went in. So
1: Yeah. Infinity War was up there and then uh I can't remember when you were number five, but I mean even I don't know. I enjoyed searching probably better than Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: Yeah, and as far as I can tell, um Searching got completely ignored. And the only thing that A Quiet Place got nominated for was sound editing. (laughs) Which that's, that's the immediate, like, I feel like there's some snarky Academy member who's like, let's put it on the sound editing list. Yeah. Uh, I'm salty about it. Not happy. Um, Lead actor, Christian Bale in Vice. (laughs) Have you seen that yet? Did you say you had or hadn't? No, our mutual friend Derek has seen it, and he says it's really good. The The problem I have with that movie is, you know, it's about the W. White House, mm-hmm. and um, the, the people who made it are the ones who made the big short from yeah. a couple years ago. Did you watch that? No, uh-oh. Amber, my wife, saw it. So it was a great movie. It was just terrible economic theory. Mm-hmm. And it styles itself as this super smart movie that really understands how things Went down and it can like communicate that to you, but it's deeply confused about the the economic crisis and what the problem was. And so I'm kind of afraid I'm going to end up watching Vice, but I'm kind of afraid of Vice for the same thing that it's going to be like, "Hey, Dick Cheney is the devil, uh, George W. Bush is a moron," and they'll tell a really beautiful story that's just deeply not consistent with the historical record. Does that make sense?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I don't look forward to you know if that's what plays out. Uh, I wouldn't look forward to that And I'm nervous about it But mm. having said that Christian Bale is supposed to be awesome And Sam Rockwell's in it uh, I okay. love Sam Rockwell So I'll yeah. A Star is Born Which I've also not seen uh, At Eternity's Gate With Willem Dafoe uh, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody and if I'd read ahead, I wouldn't have blundered so badly just a minute ago. Vigo Mortensen for Green Book. <laughs> um, I'm going to take the lead on this one and just tell you, I haven't seen Vice, A Star is Born, At Eternity's Gate or Green Book. But I can't imagine anyone doing a better job as a lead actor than Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. I felt like he was Freddie Mercury.
1: Yeah, that, that movie has been corrupted a little bit because of the director um, who got replaced at the end. Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of, even this week, I think I saw today, that there are four more accusations against him for um, underage boys.
0: Yeah, that's right. I saw that, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, thankfully, he. I think he was pulled off of that, right, and they brought somebody in to finish the movie. Yeah, they did, like at the very end, like the last, the final steps of it. Um, but I just wonder if that will cloud around... I don't know. Well, I guarantee you, I guarantee you it will not win Best Picture because they would have to sort out whether or not that guy came up on stage to, you know, to (laughs) receive the trophy as part of whatever group comes up to do it. And they will not let that happen.
1: Yeah, I read that um, his name has to stay on it because of um, some sort of legal, like the rules or something like union regulations. Yeah, something like that. They literally could not remove him from it. Yeah, but,
0: well, that that kills it as best picture. But I still think Rami Malek ought to, ought to take home the lead actor.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I, they interviewed Rami today on that in that same article, and he was saying that he was not even aware of these. Um, he said he just buckled down as soon as he realized he was going to play the part. He he said he he accepted it without even
0: knowing who the director was. Really? I mean, yeah. I'm guessing that's what he would say, but I also don't have a reason to believe he'd lie. So. He said it was a year in advance. He that's realized a, he was going to play this part. That's a tough spot to be in, for sure. Yeah. Well, let me... Speaking of weird choices with acting, um, lead actress. So Yalitza... Uh, and I'm sorry, I can't pronounce this. It's my southern tone. <laughs> Aparicio. Yelitsa Aparicio for Roma. Didn't see it. Not going to see it. <laughs> Glenn I'm Close, sorry. the wife. Didn't see it. Not going to see it. Olivia Coleman, the favorite... I don't know anything about that except it's Victorian English. So there's a chance my wife will want to watch that. <laughs> lady Gaga, A Star Is Born. Didn't see it. Can't imagine I ever will see it. Melissa McCartney, McCarthy rather. Can you ever forgive me? There's another conspicuous by their absence for for me on this list. Does it stand out to you? I assume it's uh the lady from Hereditary. What's yeah. her name? Tony Collette. Yeah. How, I mean, how does that that movie didn't get nominated for anything? Really? Which blows my mind because of how much buzz it created for the idea of elevated horror. Yes.
1: And it's artsy. Like it's it it was intentionally distinct from other horror movies like, you know.
0: Yeah. And again, we I think you and I uh, are pretty clear we're not fans of the movie. Right. But, man, I've never seen anything like what Toni Collette did with her facial expressions. I've I've said that several times in this podcast or this show, uh, Mm -hmm. our, our various episodes I don't have anything to compare it against. Yeah. That she's not even nominated is to me maybe more ridiculous than a quiet place not getting a best picture nomination. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. I, I just don't get it. I, I can't imagine that trotting Glenn Close up there again for the umpteenth time is is really worth it. <laughs> uh so Academy, you you're really goofed up by not putting a quiet place in Best Picture and maybe even worse for not putting Tony Collette in lead actress last one I'm just curious which one you would pick out of this list I think there are I think you've seen more of them than I have so animated feature uh, number one Incredibles 2 Uh, number two Isle of Dogs which I haven't seen I haven't Um, seen that one either number three Mirai which I believe is a Japanese like an anime movie Mm -hmm. haven't seen it Ralph Breaks the Internet which I know you saw and loved I can't believe that got nominated and then Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Oh, I hope the Spider Verse gets it. So you would put that over Incredibles too? I
1: would, because I guess because it's more. Uh, I mean, it was a real
0: place. Sorry, a Tell, new me, that, tell yeah. me that one more time. We got some digital buzz there. It was original
1: uh, yeah. in in differing ways. I mean, I wasn't familiar with several of the characters or any of the characters in that. I, I know you, you saw you. I mean, you knew the comic books. Mm. Um, I I didn't, and um. You know, you've got the other two are sequels that I saw. This one's not. Um, And plus the animation. I thought it was really I could watch movie after movie after movie with that animation.
0: You had told me about Into the Spider-Verse that it was the most successful attempt at like making a movie that looks like a comic book. Mm -hmm. And you you nailed it. That's absolutely right. Uh, If I had to pick from that list, I would pick Into the Spider-Verse as well. Uh I love Incredibles 2. So it's
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's close in my mind but I'd still go with Into the Spider-Verse. The the one thing I'll say is I have seen people, a lot of people online or even in my friend group saying it's the best superhero movie ever and it's the best Spider-Man movie ever. Oh my. I don't agree with either one of those statements. Yeah. Uh it's it may be a top 2 Spider-Man movie, but the you know it's it's like top five to top ten on all superhero movies. So I feel like I'm always the curmudgeon being like tap the brakes here a little bit, people. But I still really like that movie, and I'll 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 definitely buy that thing
1: uh, mm-hmm. when it comes out. So
0: yeah. And how many Jeff? How many comic books are there in that universe? You know, with that that story. You know that's a good question because I don't know if it's how often you read a comic book crossover event, but they will do main continuity titles, and there's usually like seven to ten like that that have the title into the Spider Verse. But then they will do a host of tie-in issues around those seven, Mm -hmm. and so you could probably buy the just the Spider Verse books in in one collected trade paperback. But when you go out and count all the supplementary stories that are in Amazing Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, you know, the various titles they have, Mm -hmm. there's no telling. It it would be a large number. I mean, I say there's no telling. Somebody at Marvel knows exactly how many. And I'm sure my local comic book guy could figure it out pretty quick. But I'm just saying there's a potential for there to be a considerable number. Hey Jeff, on a side note, man, with how big of a comic book
1: head you are and have been, did you ever try to write any of your own like do you have some
0: stories you've written, comic book stories with certain characters or your own characters? Dude, you're you're dragging my nerd self out into the light and I don't like that. Um I have gosh, this is embarrassing, Jared. I'm I may take this up with you later. <laughs> so get ready to laugh some more. Are you familiar with fan fiction? Yeah. So I have written a fan fiction story trying to bridge the gap between uh, Batman and Robin being, you know, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. Uh-huh. And the world of Batman Beyond with Terry McGinnis. Oh, that is cool. Like, how do we get there? And then yeah. I, I wrote a, uh, you know, I love Captain Marvel, the original Captain Marvel, the guy that everybody's calling Shazam now, including yeah. DC. I wrote... I wrote a story about Captain Marvel where he's involved in a in a fight with Superman when Superman's mind is taken over by a bad guy mm-hmm. to try to sort out their relationship to one another and in in my heart of hearts arrogant though it may be I feel like if I got the you know the the ability to be the creative storyteller on a Captain Marvel book right now mm-hmm. I could tell an incredible story cuz I I just have I got ideas, man, and mm-hmm. I've spent enough time daydreaming about it, driving down the road or trying to go to bed at night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you, man, <laughs> I'm out in the open and I feel so vulnerable. Uh Dude, that is so cool, man. I feel like I could tell, I think I could tell a compelling story, and I specifically think it would be a story that would make DC money because they could sell it to people who want... Comic book stories, Mm -hmm. but that are not built on moral ambiguity or, you know, moral filth. Well, how do we how do we make this happen, Jeff? Dude, you got to quit asking me these questions. I have (laughs) I have kicked around starting a comic book uh, and even reached out to some people I know who are fellow Captain Marvel fans who are artists. Oh, cool. And uh, here's the deal. Captain Marvel has been copied throughout history. He's one of the more, uh, like, basically everything about Superman since 1960 was him going, were were the creators of Superman going, what's working with Captain Marvel and pulling it into their universe? Oh, cool. But there have been all these other characters who are clearly knockoffs of Captain Marvel. So it's just such a perfect fantasy fulfillment story, right? It's a little mm. boy who says a magic word and he becomes Superman. Like what kid isn't already dreaming about that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. So there have been like super green beret is a guy from the past. Who's clearly a knockoff of the original captain Marvel. There's uh, a captain Marvel who has the ability to split into uh, multiple. <laughs> it sounds goofy, but it is goofy. He he can split his body into multiple pieces and somehow that's a superpower. It's a knockoff of the original um, in Britain. When Captain Marvel stories stopped being told, they just took the character, renamed him Miracle Man, and kept telling stories. And Alan Moore got a hold of those eventually and basically built his career by telling these postmodern stories through Miracle Man. Hmm. So I feel like I could take the concept and apply it to some other character and you know, tell, tell the stories through <laughs> Captain Phenomenal or whatever. That, that's not the name I would propose, but... Yeah, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. The the thing is, I just don't know if independent comics, I just don't know what what hope they have. Like, in some senses, it's it's more possible for independent creators to put their work out than ever before. But mm-hmm. because of that, it's also a more crowded market than ever before. And yeah, so I this is something I've daydreamed about a lot, and I legitimately think if I could talk to DC Editorial, I could give them an idea they can make money with. Mm-hmm. But they keep handing the property to Jeff Johns, who is second only to Zack Snyder in, in awfulness. In awfulness. <laughs> I mean, that Jeff Johns has basically my second favorite character of all time
2: mm-hmm.
0: is. <laughs> I mean talk about first world problem, but it is a, <laughs> it is a continuous aggravation to me every time he tells a shazam story he it, it he might as well just take out everything in the book and just write i don't i don't understand this character to a large degree, and the parts i do understand i'm embarrassed about mm-hmm. uh, but they keep- i mean i guess they hand it off to him so he'll have something to do and stop messing up everything else you know he <laughs>
1: Hey, hey, while well, I've got you here, which movie are you most excited about as far as Shazam or Captain Marvel?
0: Oh, it's Shazam, but it's just because I will get a visual representation of the character that I've loved for a long time that, that I never thought I would see a movie about. Mm-hmm. But Captain Marvel will be better just because okay. it's, it's a character that the people who own the rights to aren't confused about what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And and so like even David Sandberg is the guy directing the Shazam movie. I mm-hmm. really like him. He did Annabelle Creation. Oh oh, did he? I didn't know that. I yeah. thought uh, Flanagan did that. He didn't. No, no, it was it was Sandberg. Oh wow. Okay. And he does a really good job. That movie specifically says he does a really good job with with child actors. Hmm. And he he cast some great kids to be the kid components of this Shazam universe. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's done a really good job of adapting Jeff Johns's story. The problem is Jeff Johns story is hot garbage. Mm. And one of the things I've told some of my fellow, you know, I'm like everybody else. I find niche groups that like stuff I like. (laughs) One of the things we've talked about is no matter how good Shazam is, those of us who have been following the character for a long time Mm -hmm. will know that it could have been better. It's just necessarily not going to be as good as it could have been because it's not using the historical characterization and the historical story, uh, which I mean, dude, since like (laughs) since World War One or so. Captain Marvel has been capturing new new fans.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Jeff Johns gets a hold of it. He tells one story and they don't do anything with the with the book for, you know, more than a year because the, the version he told is the first version that, that doesn't resonate with new fans. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, they've kind of hooked the hype train of the movie to it. So new people are coming in saying this looks cool. This looks like it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a relief from some of the serious and somber DC stuff. And I hmm. do think that's going to commend the movie. I'm just going to be sitting there going, man, if we have just went with the time tested stuff, this would be even better.
1: Yeah. It makes you wonder if they have no intention of making more Shazam movies just by the approach.
0: Well, I think there's a chance because, again, the idea is so compelling, even if they do a bad job with it. Kids mm-hmm. as magic word becomes Superman. Yeah. Um I think it, there's there's possibility that just the concept will power through the stupidity of what Johns did with the story, mm-hmm. and the movie already looks more it already looks more lighthearted than the story Johns told. So I think something happened along the way where Johns either realized he had failed, or DC Warner Brothers, somebody up the stairs said, "Well, that may be the material we have, but we're not going to stick that close to it. We need to kind of brighten this thing up." Or Sandberg mm-hmm. said, holy cow, man, I've I got to make some changes here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they tweak it in the right direction, I could see it being really compelling, even if it's not going to be as good as it could have been. I, I do like the
1: actor that plays Shazam. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Ca- I can't remember his name, but I really liked him in Chuck. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh, uh, Zachary Levi, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he he is a really good casting for what Johns wants to do with that character. So the, the problem with Johns, I, I, I know we've been on this forever, and I promise I'll quit in just a minute. But <laughs> Johns has styled this... Um, this character as Tom Hanks is big, right? Yes. Yeah. Good call. This kid. Well, it's not original with me, but that's the best summary. So the kid becomes Superman, but he stays mm-hmm. a kid mentally, right? Yes. That's not how they did it in uh, in, in the historical characterization. W- one of the powers that Captain Marvel gets is the wisdom of Solomon. Oh, that's cool. And so historically, I think they've done away even with this in the comics, and they've given a new set of divine patrons to give him his powers, or at least they had done that in the comics. I don't know what the movie will do. But when you had the wisdom of Solomon there, you have this, you know, if you had all the wisdom of Solomon dumped into a child's brain, a distinctly different personality is going to emerge from that combination, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so historically, Billy Batson was this upright kid who was an underdog. He was an orphan, and he like he was a do gooder, and he basically was the hero of the story until he got into something he couldn't handle. And then Captain Marvel came in and was like his big brother, and you know fought gotcha. the biggest bad guy. It, it not only was it a compelling characterization; it was really unique in you know in the way that comic book stories were told. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he eventually started outselling Superman there for a number of years. But they, they've done this stupid thing and turned him into a big kid in Superman's body, which all of a sudden makes the, the the wizard who gives him the powers a real creep. Yeah. Because a kid doesn't know what to do with that kind of stuff. Even if you say he's got a sincere moral compass, which is another problem with John's characterization, Billy Batson in that one is kind of a jerk. Hmm. You just can't tell a kid, here's a nuclear bomb. Go do good things with it. You, you know what I'm saying? And there's a story where um, Superman and Shazam team up. It's called First Thunder. And at one point, Billy transforms from Captain Marvel into Billy Batson in front of Superman. And Superman gets this grimace on his face and he says, who did this to you? Which is exactly the reaction you would have if you realized somebody had just given a kid the equivalent of, you know, a nuclear silo. Does that make sense? I know I'm overthinking this, but Hmm. Jeff Johns is so simplistic. And and again, he, he either doesn't understand the character or is embarrassed by it. That he doesn't realize that whatever he thinks is new and innovative is actually throwing away much better material for much dumber material, and I just—it's just so disgusting that he has it. Because the best he can rise to is like eighty percent of what it could have been if he had just went with what generations of storytellers have been telling. Hmm. So anyway, I'm getting off my soapbox. Y- you did that to me. You asked me the questions. I'm going to blame that on you.
1: I did. I didn't realize I was walking
0: into a minefield on yeah. the. On the subject. Yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed. All my thoughts are on audio record, but like I said, I've I've thought about this for a while. I mean, I've been reading this ki this character since I was very young. Hey, go ahead and plug your other podcast, man. Yeah, so I have recorded a few episodes uh of a podcast called the Shazam Cast. <laughs> Darn you, Jared. <laughs> I, and it's more it's more popular than Pop Culture Corum folks. For real. It, Go check it out. It uh it was my it's it's it was my first foray into podcasting and uh I neglect it, but I did it because I was like, Man, this character needs more attention. And lo and behold, it got Jeff John's attention and everything began to be terrible. Hey man, for real. <laughs> you need to put in a
1: little bit more juice, a few more episodes on that. Cause I guarantee you, when that movie comes
0: out, your podcast is gonna blow up at least for a little while. Yeah, we'll see. I, yeah. Anyway, enough about that. Anything else? We're so sorry to interrupt. Um, can we talk about? Are we allowed to talk about how awful this abortion thing is? Yeah, man. I so I just came from prayer meeting at my church, and we prayed through that, and just you know wept about that, and. Ask God for repentance for a nation and so yeah, bring it up. Might as well. So the new from what I understand, the New York Senate, um for the
1: state of New York passed a bill that now is it
0: only so it extends abortion up through the third trimester. In only- cases where it will threaten the mother's life. But here's the thing. They're gonna drive a truck through that loop that loophole. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they're going to do it in the most sadistic way possible. I mean, do you know how they how they terminate a child? So this I think you can you can terminate it up to 24 weeks under the new law. And so I think we're talking about like a matter of days. Of course it's always a matter of days, but I'm talking about like a handful of days before the child would be born alive if if um if the pregnancy wasn't terminated, if the child wasn't killed. Mm-hmm. And do you know how they—I've read this on multiple sources, so listener, if if I've got bad information, you tell me, because I've looked into this, because it's hard to believe that we're this ghoulish as a society. When you're doing an abortion that late, what they do is inject poison into the child, and then the mother delivers the dead baby. Mm. It it can't be. It can't be less awful than molech worship. It can't be. Mm-hmm.
1: And like what you're saying— it's it's if it endangers the mother or if the kid is not going to survive. I think that's what they're saying. But if it's endangering the mother, if she can deliver the baby, exactly. then just
0: deliver the baby. Just deliver the baby and give it up to adoption. Even letting it grow up in state custody mm-hmm. would be infinitely preferable. So, again, I, I could have bad information, and I invite our listeners to correct me. If If we do so, I will publish that broadly. I'll say it on our social media, and I will say it on the next episode, but I've looked into this because it's hard to believe that they would do something so bloodthirsty. Well, I remember the partial birth abortions, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's what I thought
1: that you were going to say. Um, but any way they do it, though, I mean, even if they do it early, it's it's inject, chop up, vacuum out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there is no moral way to do an abortion. I mean, there, there's just no... You're still... Uh, it's just,
0: I don't even know how to, I mean, it It, it is hard to get your head around the the atrocity of it. So let's just do some qualifying. You know, one time I was, I was making application in a sermon, you know, that was, the text was about the dignity of human life. And I was making application to the atrocity of abortion and a woman in the church broke it down in tears and confessed, I've had an abortion. I don't know what that means for me. Mm -hmm. And the thing I want to say up front is yes, abortion is murder, Mm -hmm. but I don't think every woman who went to have an abortion is seeking to be a cold blooded murderer. Right. I think, you know, I think sometimes that's on the table. I think people who treat it as just a form of birth control, um, you've got real serious moral guilt for that. I do think that there are women who are frightened and don't understand the resources they have. I think there are women who have been duped into seeing it as something less than what it is. You know, they've they've bought into the language of clump of sales and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I don't think they bear the moral guilt of, you just wanted to get rid of an inconvenient child. Mm-hmm. So I want to be clear about that. And even if you were the, you know, if your abortion was a product of the worst intentions it is infinitely less powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Right. And so you can be forgiven for that. You can mm-hmm. find redemption. You can, you can find an end of the shame that that causes you to feel. I think you can even have hopes of being reunited with your aborted child through Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Absolutely. So we want to say all those things positively towards women who have who've made a choice to abort, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we want to draw the line really clearly and say abortion is the is the death of a child. It's the death of an image bearer, and mm-hmm. as such, it is it's a cosmic scandal.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it, and the audacity behind like watching that vote. Oh, on, they were cheering. Uh, the cheering. And I mean, it's right up there with the women who are shouting their abortions and um, that trending on Twitter there for I can't remember when it was. But I I just tell you the evil that is. I mean, can you imagine if a state just decided, hey, we're going to kill every two year old? I mean, it's the same thing as Herod.
0: Or Pharaoh. Pharaoh.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's the same thing. It's the same
0: exact thing, except they're just getting the mothers to do it. To contemporize it. Can you imagine seeing footage of let's say a deep south state legislature cheering uh, for laws protecting lynching? Yeah. Can you imagine how you would recoil from something like that? Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Yep. I, I I'm not the only one who knows this and I'm sure you do too, but it's just staggering. I was reading, you know, preparing to talk to my church about this again. I I, I think the the offensiveness of what's actually happening is sufficient. I don't have to go look for like made-up statistics, right? Like you can just read the cold hard facts, and everybody with a moral compass understands something unspeakable is happening. Mm-hmm. But I've I read a CBS article um, that cited the New York State Department of Health. So, according to the NY Department of Health, there were two hundred eighty-five thousand one hundred twenty-seven induced abortions. In New York State between 2012 and 2014, Mm -hmm. you know, more than a quarter million dead babies. The average number of live births for the same three years was 237,499. So almost 50,000 more babies are being aborted in New York State than are being born alive.
1: Golly, man, that is horrendous.
0: You know, if you read the rhetoric of this thing, I mean, you just can't help but have your blood boil if you have mm-hmm. any sense of a correctly calibrated conscience. And I'm not saying that from a position of arrogance. I think there are people who are duped into believing this stuff is acceptable. But again, it, it it's crystal clear on consideration where the moral high ground is. It's hard for me not to view it as a declaration of war. Like, it, it's hard for me not to view it as...
1: That we have a state that has literally declared war against
0: the most helpless and marginalized people in its population. Yes. Like, it, it's hard for me not to view them as similar to Kim Jong-un. I mean, sure. Morally, it's, it's uh, equivalent. Yeah. Except it, it's, we decry uh, one and celebrate the other. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean I to mean, step it, on it, you. I just deeply, deeply agree with what you're having to say here.
1: Oh, yeah. It makes me I mean, dude, honestly, it makes me think through just war theory. It makes me think through um, I mean, at what point do Christians sit idly by as we continue year after year after year after year? We got 60, almost 60 million dead babies since Roe versus Wade in our country.
0: Well, again, here, I'm just going to say, Jared, we we need to do all the qualifications. So you're not suggesting that anybody should take up arms or I mean, the the worst case scenario is blowing up an abortion clinic. You're not saying that anyone should choose violence as the means to address this. No,
1: what I am saying, what I am saying, though, is eventually it makes me wonder if smaller governments need to take a stand against. I don't know if it's states um, need to take stands against other states. Um, I'm not sure exactly, you know, I haven't fleshed it out, but my question, I mean, are, are we going to have to get to 100 million? I mean, what?
0: I, I don't know. I'm just I mean, that's like Mao. Um, yeah. So I, I do think in our civic structures that the best thing the government can do on this, I mean, the best thing they could do is justly repeal the law. And they should. And if they don't, if Roe versus Wade and every supporting law underneath it or statute underneath it isn't repealed, God will destroy the United States of America in a like Mm -hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah, salt and plow the ground kind of sense. Mm -hmm. But the appropriate thing for more upright states to do is ban the, the practice of abortion and say, you know, insofar as our state is concerned, this is illegal. And I really think you just keep walking that down. I think cities should make the choice to... Outlaw abortion, and then tell the federal government, "Come get me." You know, if 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 I'm a county commissioner or I'm a you know a city trustee, I'm pushing for us to outlaw abortion within our borders in this city or this county. And if the federal government wants to come get me or come get our state or come get our you know our county or our city, they'll just have to come get us. But it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's no there's no perfect strategy, but I do think whatever degree a community has a say so over itself, upright people in the civic sense will say this will not happen within our borders. Right. What so thinking through just just war theory, the the further
1: one gets like so this is gonna increase abortions. This isn't this isn't going to decrease them. Like sure. I agree with what you're saying about the laws. But if the laws are not tightening; instead, they are widening. Then the pendulum is not going to swing back. Um, I mean, it
0: may. Well, I'm going to push it, back on that. I am convinced that we will live. We will live to see a day when abortion is considered equally, you know, atrocious as the Holocaust or mm-hmm. the Great Leap Forward. That may happen because the New Jerusalem has descended. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a good chance that. You know, maybe I don't live to see this part of it. I will live to see it on the other side of my own grave. But that like maybe my kids or my grandkids or great grandkids will see Western culture, whatever's left of it, recognize the atrocity of this thing. So you think this is a final gasp of the abortion movement? I think this is them solidifying their base because they realize they're being pushed back. There are okay. more secular pro life people than there ever have been mm-hmm. you know the heroic efforts of the center for uh was it Center for medical oh David Dadelin, the guy who went in and recorded um Planned Parenthood people talking openly about how they chop up babies and sell their parts oh yeah yeah mass media um I, I think all these things work in the favor of those who recognize that life begins at conception- mm-hmm. and I do think Planned Parenthood is feeling the the strain now the the federal government can protect them against what I think are shifting political winds. Mm-hmm. but again, if if our country doesn't repent of this, the federal government's going to be destroyed. Uh, not by, you know, again, all the qualifications, not because right-wing extremists have risen up and overthrown the government. Uh, I'm not calling for that, nor do I think that will happen. Mm-hmm. It, it, this is an offense that the kingdom of heaven will takes personally and will intervene on on behalf of the innocent for. Them. And so I don't, I really don't know, man. I mean, I'm not a mystical guy who's like waiting around for signs, but if brimstone fell from the sky, I would be surprised, but I'd be like, "Yeah, I guess so. I guess this makes sense." Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that that that's what I'm saying. We're either going to see abortion recognized as the atrocity it is in the new heavens and the new earth, or just the sanity that comes with the image of God is going to push that thing politically out into the light for what it is. Maybe both. I read a I read an article the other day on
1: USA Today um, that was arguing that. Roe versus Wade was based on outdated science, and it was arguing that embryology books, textbooks today, secular, argue that an embryo is a unique individual because of the DNA that is present.
0: Oh, but Um, Jared, Jared, don't you know that it's religious people and and conservatives, particularly religious conservatives who are anti-science? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey, dude, uh, I had a seminar, an anthropology seminar
1: in my PhD at Southern. And um, we one of the books that we read was a picture book done by an atheist. And what it was, it was magnified um, from conception to birth, magnified images. Um, I mean, these blown up, you know, beautiful images of life. And it was it was an atheist who was arguing
0: that life begins at conception. And it was just See, it was that, very fascinating. That's what I'm getting at. I, I think even people who are confessed non-believers are having a hard time crawling over the data. Mm-hmm. And we just have so many different ways of spreading the data now that I think it's, I think it's going to eventually win the day. I don't know that our, you know, that it, will, it will stave off God's judgment, but mm-hmm. I, I do think, you know, whoever's picking through the ruins of Western civilization is just going to you know, come across like a Planned Parenthood sign and say, well, it's no wonder. It's no wonder the civilization fell or was destroyed or whatever happened. Yeah, I I agree. And the thing is, this this
1: decision by the New York State Senate took me by surprise. Like it it because I've been seeing the exact opposite coming out of Hollywood where they're they're They've been wrestling with this idea yeah. of like I'm. I'm going to keep my baby like I'm not I've I've seen them intentionally produce movies even Netflix movies um they go out of their way to say to talk about abortion guilt and to talk about, I mean, there was just, it's just, it's a different world than it's been. At least, it it seems like the pendulum's starting to swing. Yes, and amen. And
0: Lord, let it be. More yeah, more. And, then, and then this thing, though, took me by surprise. Well, again, just to circle back to what we talked about earlier, I think Planned Parenthood, the abortion industry, I think they know that they're really disturbing from their perspective trends that don't signal good things for them long term. And so they kind of have to settle in where they have their strongest power right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's, you know, it's New York State where they can pull that off. But there will be a pushback against this. And I really, you know, Andrew Cuomo, who's the governor, you know, he like he had the One World Trade Center lit up pink. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to suffer for this either politically or Under God's judgment or both. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really wish I could get his ear because I would tell him, you know, what you've done is shake your fist in defiance against the person whose will sustains your existence. Mm -hmm. This is not going to go well for you. And it may not go well for you just by you being allowed to grow harder in your sin. Becoming more entrenched, but I'm suspicious that there will be a quiet moment at some point in his life where moral clarity will descend upon him and he will feel the weight. Of what he's led, you know, his state in doing, mm-hmm. and I hope there's someone there who will tell him mm-hmm. the blood of Christ is sufficient even for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I, I imagine amen. if he came, if if he comes to an end of himself like the prodigal son. Now, I'm not saying he's a believer. I'm just saying if he, if God grants him moral clarity, which I think he probably will, I think he will feel crushed under the weight of what he's done. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm sorry to step on what you're saying. I just. If I if I were a betting man and could know the future, I would I would bet that he will have in a dark in a quiet moment, you know he'll feel like he got hit with a tidal wave. I
1: hope so, man. I I looked up some of the senators that were celebrating it, and on Twitter they're like holding their baby, like like they're they've got family pictures on Twitter, and they've got young kids that I just don't the common sense of <laughs> having a baby grow in your womb and seen that baby delivered and I, I just, it's like they're brainwashed or something. Like
0: maybe the God of this world
1: has blinded their eyes. Yes, definitely. I mean, it, it's scary. Like this, you could be so blinded that you don't, it, this is common sense. I mean, this is, this is not rocket science folks. This is, you don't have Good to be grief. a Christian well versed in the Scriptures to see the offense of this. No, I mean you hear a heartbeat, you hear you see the fluttering, you see the three D images. Now, I mean the list goes on and on of just yeah. the miracles.
0: Well, I mean we believe we believe in the noetic effect of sin that sin makes right. you stupid, but the resources we have in common grace are sufficient to to identify this as an atrocity.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Well, Lord. Lord intervene, come Lord Jesus, or come in judgment, or come in revival, or just do something. Do something. Give your people light to know what to do as well. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we oppose this? I can't, you know, I can't conceive of like recommending to Pennsylvania that they invade New York State. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, it, it doesn't seem like there are easy solutions to this. But abortion can be ended in our lifetime, and mm-hmm. I think there are signs that even if we don't live to see it, it will be. It'd be largely eradicated. But uh, on the flip side of
1: that, and I know it's not the same thing, we wouldn't be opposed for recommending that South Korea invade North Korea. Um, and I know that's a that's apples and oranges. But but what I'm saying is, is how bad would it get before you know? I mean, so like you said, what if it was southern legislation that had just said lynching is perfectly fine? Um, it would be expanded. Or you know, yeah,
0: we we don't have enough lynching. Let's get some more lynching. I mean, would you would that be something where you say, okay, we need to do civil
1: war over this?
0: Like, uh, e- anyway, I'm just. I'm I mean, just, our I'm, our country answered that question once upon a time, and it's yeah, it's taught as a good thing in history books.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think that I
1: think that our descendants would smile upon. I honestly do. Like, I agree. I think we're on the wrong. I think the people in favor of abortion are on the wrong side of history and history will correct this nonsense.
0: Well, I mean, I I don't mean to be scandalous, and I assume that this will probably crawl over some of our listeners. But at this point, we're engaged in something that's even morally more atrocious than chattel slavery. Yeah. Uh, You know, we owe the deep south antebellum, you know, the antebellum south you know, we we're looking up to them at this point in the way that just New York's numbers alone, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that someone who wants to like minimize the atrocity of chattel slavery in the, in, in the pre-Civil War South. I'm just saying that we, we found a way to do something even worse. Mm -hmm. So I I get what you're saying. You know, it's hard for me to, to recommend armed conflict to, you know, I'm a guy who, I think warfare is very rarely the appropriate option. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree. Get, I'm, just, I get I'm why saying, you're saying we we're going to have to at least consider why we don't do it because the offense mm-hmm. is that bad.
1: Well, I mean, just war theory is if you're going to save more
0: lives than you
1: lose, then basically the war. I mean, I know that's oversimplistic, but that's the general emphasis. And so, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands dead every
0: year and. And it's the most innocent among us. Not to, not to circle back to ground we've already covered, but this is morally atrocious. And when you think about the atrocity of it, it's hard to see any option except for, like, personal violence. Jeff? off the, You know, is off the table. You know what blows my mind? If those numbers are correct that you said, which I assume, what year was that, the 200-something thousand? That was between 2012 and 2014 in New York State, according to New York's Department of Health. Okay, so for three years? Yeah.
1: That is uh, so. You said two hundred and fifty something thousand.
0: There were two hundred. There were over two hundred eighty-five thousand abortions. There okay. were two hundred thirty-seven thousand four hundred ninety-nine live births. Okay. So
1: my understanding, man, is that is about fifteen percent of all the abortions in the U.S. at that time. Um, so I, that that's a staggering number for just one city. Or state, I guess. Yeah, it fifteen percent.
0: You know, I saw there's a bookstore that had closed its doors today. It yeah, said, I saw that. Um, I, you know, this is one of those times where upright people are going to have to start thinking about where they where they live. Uh, oh yeah, I yeah. don't. I, we're passionate about this subject, man. I didn't mean to talk this
1: long about it, but
0: I mean, how can you not? How can you not when you see this thing? Uh, Just be horrified. And here's the thing, too, man. You're talking about common grace resources. Think about the problems in society that everybody's bemoaning, right? There's not enough Social Security. Mm -hmm. There's not enough people paying into Social Security. Do you think it's because we're aborting, you know, a quarter million people in one state alone? Maybe those people could have earned some money to put in. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, oh, no, no. Our uh, we're overpopulated. Yeah. Go look at the numbers. Go look at the numbers and talk to me about overpopulation. That's a that's a that's a popular mythology. Yeah. We're getting close to where we're not replacing. I mean, we're. <laughs> yeah. And if you're one of those you know, people who who says that humans are a virus, that's going to sound great to you. But the rest of us who live in Saneville are going to understand it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So I- don't talk to me about overpopulation. And, and just the last thing. How do we have great leaps forward in the quality of life yep. that we enjoy? Innovation, man. Innovation. People. people. So, you, so okay, let's say you aborted the next te- Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay, I'll grant you that. There's probably been some people who would have ul- ultimately ended up bad dudes aborted. What about the next Tesla? What about the next Einstein? What about the next Edison? What about the next Louis Pasteur? What about the next uh, hmm. Elon Musk? Those Those have to be accounted for, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to spend all this time wringing your hands on CNN or some other news network about all the problems we're facing and how we need the government to do something when you're literally killing the best resource we have to address the problems. Mm-hmm. There, there's no angle on this thing that, that, that says it's a good idea I'm unless sure unless you get political gains from it. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the one angle on this where there's some incentives. Oh, wow. That is awful. Well, you're oh, yeah. right, and I tell you're you, right. I mean, I don't want to go super political, but I'm sick of the of the Republican Party giving lip service to pro life causes and never doing a dang thing about it. Planned Parenthood should have been defunded already. So I'm suspicious times. at this point that these men either are cowards because they don't want to alienate a voting bloc. Which, if that's the case, I, I mean this specifically. God help you. Or they want access to abortion care for their mistresses or a combination of both. Wow. And I'm sick and tired of hearing them run as if they're going to do something meaningful Mm -hmm. about ending abortion and then get into office. And when it comes to abortion, they're doing the bird box challenge and can't see nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm sick to death of it. Yeah, the left has gotten crazier than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And and maybe there are signs the GOP is going to grow a spine, but I'm sick of waiting for it. Mm-hmm. When they had the house, absolutely, Jared. Absolutely. Why, why did they keep funding Planned Parenthood? Why? Because it, again, I think it comes down to they're immoral in the sense that they're cowards because they don't want to offend a voting bloc, or mm-hmm. they're immoral and cowardly because they want access to this stuff for the the pregnancies they create that they don't want to take responsibility for. Or it's some combination of both, mm-hmm. and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that about everyone. I'm a big fan of Rand Paul. I love Justin Amish up in Michigan. Uh, ben Sass is someone I support. Uh, Thomas Massey, I tend to uh, appreciate what he has to say. There are good men in the federal government, but as a block, they have been cowardly, and at this point, they've been so cowardly you can't help but see immoral motivations. And I'm sick to death of it I'm sick to death of being told you have to vote for us because we're the pro life party and them doing nothing substantial in terms of pro life
1: mm-hmm. so anyway. yeah even even gorsuch i mean um, um, i mean he, even him on these issues you know we'll see how he votes when when it gets to the nitty gritty but um but what he has said is that you know there's precedent you know with settled law blah 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 blah
0: and I mean good grief, why <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, everybody's up in arms about a conservative court now. Go yeah. look at Roberts. Go yeah. l- tell me about how Roberts is some great conservative stalwart on right to life. You know, I'm, I'm with you. I hope Gorsuch will will do the right thing if he's ever pressed on this point. Mm-hmm. But you know, he he could have been playing the political game, and that's cool. If he did that, more power to him. I'm glad he did it. Mm-hmm. But also, it may signal that he's just a run of the mill GOP lip service. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. Uh, offerer And I can't help but be skeptical that we're going to get the best version of this. Yeah, I mean, I'll I believe it when I see the vote, you know. Yeah. So we have turned this into politics quorum deo, but it's our podcast. We can do that, right? Um, Jared, anything else to say on that? No, nah, that's it, buddy. All right. Well, let's get into what we were supposed to talk about here, Jared. You ready to pull the curtain on the latest from the Shyamalaniverse? Yes, sir. Last... Alright, so uh, folks, I know you're into extra innings here with us, but we do what we do here at the Pop Culture Coram and we do it on repeat. We look at the stories told by sub creators. Uh, Human beings who bear the image of God, who look like, in some small way, the creator that the great God uh, that created all of us is. And they do that in the stories they tell. And we hold up those stories to the story God is telling about his son Jesus and cosmic history and see how they compare. So the first thing we do is chop up the worldview of the movie, creation, fall, redemption, glorification. Then we get into some analysis questions uh, but before we go there, Jared, do you have any words of advice in terms of conscience warning for this movie?
1: Um, I did not notice. I mean, there's violence. There is language. Um, I did not notice anything. I mean, they're the cheerleaders are dressed in normal cheerleading outfits, I guess. Um, but I did I did not notice
0: anything that jumped out to me. Now I think this is a PG-13 movie. Yeah, that, I believe so. You know, that's not a that's not like, oh, good. It's fine for Christians to watch it. I'm not trying to imply that. But right. if it had any of the stuff that we usually, you know, are are particularly sensitive toward on our podcast, it wouldn't have gotten a PG-13 rating. It, even right. yeah, you, you mentioned the cheerleaders. So this is obviously a sequel to 2017 Split, mm-hmm. um, you know, 2017. Had the, the the movie Split had like young ladies walking around in their underwear and bras. This doesn't even have that. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in terms of overt, I don't know, display of sinful behaviors, this movie is pretty tame. Uh, if of course foul language doesn't offend your conscience or or violence, which we sort of it doesn't offend our conscience, so we we assume that um, mm-hmm. other people press on the same way we do on those fronts. Um. Okay, well, let me give you the IMDb synopsis. Okay. Security guard David Dunn, which we first met back in 2000's Unbreakable. Is that right? Is it that old? It's super old, dude. It's like 20 years old. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's from 2000. So we first meet security guard David Dunn in the Unbreakable movie from 2000, which created the universe that Glass is part of. He uses his supernatural abilities to track Kevin Wendell Crumb, a disturbed man who has 24 personalities, also in possession of superhuman abilities, I guess, is the right way to say it, right? Mm-hmm. All right, guys, so that is conscience warning and premise. We're going to consider ourselves in spoiler territory at this point. So if you feel uh, interested in seeing this movie without having the plot details ruined for you, you need to press pause. Go watch this movie and come back. Otherwise, we assume you're glad to hear details about the plot. And that's what we're gonna get into from here on out. All right, Jared. Um any notes about this movie you want to bring up before we, we dive into the, the worldview analysis? Um, I don't think so. I um I really enjoyed McElvoy though. I that's mean, the Pitt. that's the thing I wanted to bring up too.
1: He's incredible, but
0: I am amazed that anybody can do what he did in this movie. Mm-hmm. You think about acting as inhabiting another person, you know, for a time. I'm just blown away by how completely he became a different person—posture, mm-hmm. accent, facial expression. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen anything better. Mm-hmm. I watched The Shining this week while I was, you know, filling out forms and stuff, and uh, Jack Nicholson playing a crazy person who has went over the deep end. Mm-hmm. He's really great at that but that's like one twenty fourth of what McAvoy did in this movie.
1: Yeah. The, the only other comparable, you remember Ed? well, I don't know if, I can't remember if there's anything bad in this. Cause I saw this, I think when I was in high school, what was a uh, primal fear with Edward Norton. I don't think I, I remember that one. It's based on a, uh, a, you know, Richard Gere's in, he's a lawyer. Edward Norton's this kid, um, who was involved in a murder, could have been involved in a murder. And um, they're trying to see if he's clinically insane with with multiple personalities to get out of, you know, plead insanity. Uh, sure. So he doesn't get charged with the the murder. But uh, but anyway, he does an amazing acting job in that. That's the only thing comparable. But
0: I think that's only two personalities. Yeah. Um, so um, IMDB has listed Patricia, Dennis, Hedwig, The Beast, Barry, Heinrich, Jade, Ian, Mary Reynolds, Norma, Jalen, Cat, B.T., Kevin Wendell Crumb, Mister Pritchard, Felidia, Luke, Goddard, Samuel, Polly. By my count, that's twenty that he portrayed. Now, not all of them got. A t- we didn't get a ton of time with them, mm-hmm. but just being Patricia, Dennis, Hedwig, the Beast, Kevin Wendell Crumb, I feel like. I I just don't know who else I would pick to say you can do something comparable to what McAvoy pulled off. Now, Jeff, didn't you say
1: that uh, the original cut was like over three hours long? So maybe there I wonder if there's a cut where we get more.
0: Bring it uh, on, man. I will watch anything from his performance that they they want to put in front of my eyes. Mm hmm that dude is 2 years older than i am and there is nothing i am as good am as good at as he is at acting you got to be kidding me he's just 2 years older than us <laughs> uh, he may be disturbing. less than that for you old man uh, he That's was born true. april 21st of 1979 oh wow yeah so yeah way to be the michael jordan of acting james Mack. for Mac. real he's brilliant so you know if if the academy overlooks him next year they really maybe they should just disband the whole thing yeah uh, That. Yeah that's the only note I've got there too um, Although I will say I think the acting In this movie is really top notch At least among the leads So James McAvoy, Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson Anya Taylor-Joy, Sarah Paulson Even Spencer Treat Clark Who played David Dunn's son Who I've not seen do a whole lot uh, I thought they were all really really good Yeah Alright man so this is a sequel to um, you know, two prior movies, Unbreakable from 2000, again, Split from 2017. And so some of that's going to bleed over into our analysis here. Uh, we, we do the worldview analysis by uh, looking at creation, fall, redemption, and glorification as categories. God created a good world. He watched it fall into sin, sent his perfect son to redeem it. And in being successful in that mission, the sun is creating a better world that is um, full of glory, and so that's where we get those categories. And with that in mind, Jared, let's get started here. W- what do you see as creational goodness in this movie? Uh, my
1: understanding of creation here is that it's it's our world, so it's supposed to be modern day, but that there are people with special abilities.
0: Yeah, in some ways, these are these are people who can do superhuman things. In a way that is kind of collected in the in the modern mythology of comic books, mm, like comic books, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're you're talking about they their actual history.
1: Like the what started comic books was there are actual people who can do these things. Yeah.
0: So David Dunn, the protagonist played by Bruce Willis, he's an example of things going well with these powers. Right. He he is creationally mm-hmm. good in that sense. He has these. Supernatural abilities. He learns to use them on behalf of his neighbor, so he can he can sense if people have done evil things, and he's super strong. And you know, not to not to make the title of the movie a pun, but he's unbreakable. And so he can go fight the bad guy, Batman style, Superman style, and and save people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some other little reflections of creational goodness in the movie. Um, you know the the relationship between David and his son is pretty cool mm-hmm. to see because his son becomes kind of a, a coordinator or a, an intelligence operative, <laughs> operative, operative on, on behalf mm-hmm. of his dad. Um, anything else I'm overlooking there? No, I
1: think that's I think that's you know that you can you've got these abilities but you can use them for good or for ill.
0: Yeah. So then in fallenness, it's you turn to the other two main characters. There is Mister Glass who is a hyper-intelligent individual, but who is stuck with a body that, that you know, the bone structure breaks on the slightest of contact. And so mm-hmm. he is the stereotypical mastermind uh, in the movie. Then you have the Beast, who is the product of the mental illness um, housed within this young man named Kevin. Is it Kevin Michael Crumb? How, I just read it a minute ago, and I've already forgotten. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Crumb is just the last name. Kevin, name Kevin Wendell Crumb. Ke- Kevin Wendell Crumb. Um Kevin Wendell Crumb is a young man who was abused as a child. His psyche splintered into multiple personalities to protect him from the abuse he's suffering at the hands of his mother. Mm-hmm. But he's a superpowered individual. And these various personalities, 24 in total, collectively are called the Horde. And somehow together, they create within him this personality called the Beast that... He is uh, superhuman, super strong, super fast, able to scale walls, Mm -hmm. but uh, is basically bent on making people suffer. Mm -hmm. Uh, What other fallenness do you see here? Well, I I think
1: fall happens in this movie when people, you know, people are not, these gifts are are not believed in. Like if people don't believe in themselves, I think that the emphasis the emphasis on redemption is to believe in yourself and the and the opposite of that is when you don't believe in yourself. So I think that's when fall happens. And that and that goes for everyone. See I, I think it's a yin yang emphasis to where there's got to be balance. I mean that that was unbreakable too. Mr. Glass, the reason why he went looking for Mr. Dunn was because he was broken and his bones could be broken real easy. He assumed that there had to be an opposite of him, someone who could whose bones couldn't be broken, and uh, that's kind of unbreakable. That's in that movie, and then it bleeds that yin yang emphasis is magnified in this one. I believe that uh, that there's got to be this balance. You've got to have the evil. See in this movie, Mister Glass. There's a there's this emphasis on he he cr- not only He revealed the powers that Dunn had. He also created the beast by killing his father, um, by putting him – so there's this emphasis, what Mr. Glass does by the end of the movie. There's this emphasis, and everybody joins hands. All those relatives of the super, super superhumans join hands to witness because the argument is you've got to have the evil in order to have the good, or you've got to have – like Dunn never would have became Dunn if the train wreck didn't happen. Um and Beast would never have become Beast if the train wreck didn't happen, and that wouldn't have happened unless Mister Glass did it. And so there's this emphasis on whether people use their their gifts for good or for ill. There's always going to be this balance of good and evil in the universe, and so you should just let it let it play out. But but anyway, well, so, so I,
0: just to reinforce that point, Sarah Paulson's character tells David Dunn that at the end of the movie, she says, "When one of you emerges, you're." opposite emerges pretty quickly and that's just mm-hmm. not fair but to push against your point I'm sure you got a good explanation for this so I'm just gonna ask the question doesn't it seem like it's out of balance there's two evil superheroes in glass and beast and only one super good guy in David Dunn it
1: does kind of but that uh, I think they're arguing somewhat that that Sarah lady is um, maybe the good or the regular humans are the good the one who loved the beast that girl Um Maybe that was to be the other good because it was, you know, it was her love. And that was the argument. That was interesting. That's what Sarah, I can't remember Sarah's character's name, whatever secret organization she was part
0: of. But I guess like Cloverfield is what I'm going to call them because they, they all have Cloverfield tattoos, but her character was Dr. Ellie, Ellie Staple, Ellie Staple.
1: I thought she did a great job. I, dude, did you see it coming? I mean, I didn't see it coming that, what 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 was going to happen?
0: I eventually got to the point where I thought she was trying to neutralize them, not cure them. Mm-hmm. Late in the movie, I didn't see coming that Glass had been running a game on her organization. Yeah, I didn't see that either. I didn't see them holding
1: hands at like I didn't see all those because Glass's mom's crazy. She's straight crazy. Whatever. And, dude. She's a heroin by the end of the movie. I know. That's why I was. I couldn't. The ending really magnified this, uh, in my mind, the balance of the universe type thing. That, in order to have the good, you've got to have the evil, because the evil has to be necessary to distinguish what is good and to call out the good and to
0: produce the good. You know, well, in some ways, I'm okay with that as a Christian, because like God's story has evil elements, and He's sovereign over that. You know, I, I, I think the Lord has. A black backdrop against which his goodness shines in contrast. But I don't like the idea that ultimate reality is a stasis between good and evil. I
1: think it's arguing what Star Wars argues.
0: The Last Jedi.
1: (laughs) Yeah but i think the whole star wars universe this there's eternal good and eternal evil type well, thing.
0: Well, not the first 3 though because the dark side was seen as something that needed to be thwarted and overcome. It just got the the dumber George Lucas got the dumber the, the world got and then <laughs> when he handed it over to the Disney corporation their you know their corporate <laughs> policy is moral ambiguity and <laughs> so
1: Uh, Let's not get you started, man.
0: Let me tell you about Shazam, Jared. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) let's let's not get me started. Hey, I will tell you, you mentioned Sarah Paulson's character. She was great. And I'll tell you my favorite scene with her. When she realizes what Glass has done and she walks out into the hallway and we see her just from that security camera vantage point and she just doubles over and screams. Yeah. I don't know that's her best you know, performance in any individual scene, but I love that. I thought that was so good. Yeah. Uh, what about redemption
1: here, Jerry? Where do you see redemption coming from? I think redemption happens when people, for good or for ill, use their gifts. Like Like these gifts need to be discovered so that we can see... More people with gifts, like,
0: yeah. I'm gonna go, I think, similar to you, I'm gonna go with self actualization. That once people are aware of their full capacity and strive to attain it, Mm -hmm. the better world will come, you know. And so, the the redemptive act is letting everyone know that they can self actualize. Mm -hmm. Um, so the better world, in my view, would be that. Now everyone knows that there's at least the potential. They have supernatural potential Mm -hmm. and they should get out there and figure out what it might be. And when a few of them do, well, the world's going to get
1: better. Yeah, I don't know that it's arguing that the world's going to get. Well, I guess it is arguing it's going to get
0: better, but there's also going to be these glasses and beasts come out, too. Yeah, I think I think the moral vision of this universe comprehends that, you know, that -hmm. that these things are going to emerge. They need to be dealt with, but they're sort of part of the natural order. And the natural order should stop being repressed. It should start being expressed, Mm -hmm. which I guess they're going to do through YouTube. Um, Yeah. All right. So, guys, that's the that's the worldview of this movie. Uh, We've kind of chopped this thing into bits there. we'll Start putting it back together a little bit here with some further analysis questions. The first of those, Jared, is what's the story in this movie? And uh, we want to get it right. So where do you see yourself in the world of glass?
1: I thought the acting was awesome across the board. I enjoyed the story. I, I li- I'm a huge fan of M. Night Shyamalan. I think he probably has two or three of, I don't know, on top 20 horror of all time. He's got a couple movies on there, I think.
0: We're going to have to talk about him, you know, his his filmography a little bit more lengthy towards the end. So put okay. a pin in that. I want to explore that thought some more. So I think he's an amazing storyteller, uh, too. I thought McElvoy was the best
1: he had the heart he had the most difficult task and I think he like like you said I don't think he could have done a better job like I mean I don't I thought he was much better in this one than he was in Split I mean I thought he was good in Split Yeah but in this one it was rapid fire like yeah. How do you even turn on a dime like that in I'd be curious to know how many scenes like were how many minutes where he's just monologuing, you know, that they actually recorded of him switching back and forth.
0: Yeah, how many cuts take. were involved in you know all those times they hit him with a strobe light? Yeah. Just amazing.
1: And uh, then I love I love the little kid character that he that he does,
0: um the nine year old. Hedwig. Yeah. I just it's hilarious. Well, me. Uh, again, I mentioned him earlier. Our friend Derek read me a quote from Samuel L. Jackson where I'm paraphrasing, but Jackson said, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident in what I do as an actor. But it was surreal to watch James McAvoy become different people, you know, uh, from moment to moment. So I'm assuming mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff was him, even if they didn't use it as the final shot for the film. I'm assuming a lot of what he did was literally shifting in and out of those characters as the plot required. Yeah. And and again, when the Blu ray on this thing comes out, I'm watching every deleted scene, everything they do as a featurette because I want to see every bit of footage from mm-hmm.
1: him. I would love to see a director's cut of this. Um because my Amber, my wife thought it was a little the movie was a little slow. I didn't think I didn't think it was slow at all. I enjoyed the character development. I enjoyed, I mean, I, I, again, I think that Shyamalan is an amazing storyteller. But I, I do agree with you that he uh, either gets it right or he gets it wrong. He doesn't like have a middle.
0: Yeah, it's either a home <laughs> like, run or he strikes out on four pitches. Yes, um, yes. So I'm with Amber in that I think this movie would have been served well by having like ten to twelve minutes carved out of it. Okay. I think there was a little too much exposition. You know, she kind of Paulson's character basically takes your hand and says, "Let me explain everything that has happened." Okay. And I, I, I could have done with a little bit less of that. I, I think probably Shyamalan doesn't. He doesn't have a high enough view of his audience. You know, their ability to figure things out from what he's built into the story. Okay. But I'm a you know I'm I'm really enthusiastic about this movie too. I, I really enjoyed getting to see
1: Bruce Willis again in a blockbuster. Man,
0: um, me too, Jared. That's straight out of my own head. I was trying to think when I started noticing that Bruce Willis was back, and it was a movie called Red that came out, I want to say, in the early 2000s. It was this stand standalone action movie that I think might have been based on a comic. Do you remember this?
1: Yeah, they, they've done... There's Red 2. I
0: think he's in both of them. Yeah. I said early 2000s. It's like... 2010, you know, I was like, Oh man, he's back. Cause he had done live free or die hard in 2007, but they're just, you know, that thing didn't really land and he showed up in expendables, but it, you know, again, it, it was red that put him back on. Mm-hmm. This was the most Bruce Willis performance in terms of like, this is what I want from him. Yeah. And he, he just seems like a, a great dude to hang out with. I think he, he's got an entire phase of his career is just, the dad everybody either wants to be or wishes they had. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just also it leaves me wondering how much more of this we get from him because the guy's getting a few miles on the odometer at this point. Is he in his 60s? Uh, I'll tell you this while I'm looking. Samuel L. Jackson is 70. Yeah, I figured he was
1: he was up there, and he's he's an amazing actor. He really is. Yeah, and I, I don't thought think he, he looks
0: he doesn't look a day older than when I first saw him. You know what I mean? No, he doesn't.
1: He doesn't. He's a great actor. He, uh, I enjoyed his performance. I thought he's a very diabolical, great, a great job on it. I loved the. Uh, I thought it was humorous when he was trying to fool the well. He was trying to fool the camera, and so he's just out spinning around in his wheelchair. Like, yeah out just like he oh i get out of my room so i can drive my wheelchair around the hospital and spin around in circles yeah i at the same spot
0: uh Bruce willis is 64 so i guess we've kind of got like a a later clint eastwood era coming from him if if the lord is gracious to him but i really enjoyed spending time with him and when when they drown him in that water puddle Mm -hmm. man that really affected me yeah and i was like that is such a shameful way to kill a good man yeah. And uh, yeah, I was I was more affected by that than I expected to be. And I think it's because I really connected with his character in this movie. So did you get tore up in the movie a little bit? I mean, I didn't choke up and cry or anything, but I just okay. it struck me as inappropriate. You know, what I mean? like <laughs> yeah. I was I was in that world and I felt like his son, like this is shameful what you've done to this good man. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I was I was shocked. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> Wait a second. Good guy can't die. Right. What is going on? Right. And he's being killed by a SWAT team guy. <laughs> like, what? I did not, I just didn't see it coming and I was blindsided.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it was affecting. And I think it's because you, you know, it was self consciously a comic book movie. You expect a good guy to win the day, you know? hmm. Um, well, Jared, second question. Where am I? See the style and shape of the imaginary world. The hero. I'm The hero. You're the hero. I'm done. Yeah. I think I'm Shyamalan. I'm just sitting above it all watching it happen. OK. Uh. I, you know, I was very self-consciously sort of a visitor to this world while I was watching that. The the pacing is deliberate. I'm not going to call it slow, but it's deliberate, and that's that's mm-hmm. often the case with Shyamalan's movies. That's how uh, Unbreakable was. I mean, I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of expecting.
1: And I read that um, he actually had the split character originally written into the original Unbreakable, like it was part mm-hmm. of the movie, but he had to cut it. Oh, huh.
0: that's curious. I'd like to know what that would have looked like. Dude, he, he's like Mr. Glass. He needed, to, he needed to wait for 19 years for James McAvoy to come along. <laughs> you know yeah,
1: what I mean? Yeah, there you go. That's cool. Yeah. That's God's providence, right?
0: Yeah. So I guess at this point we figured out that Shyamalan is Mr. Glass. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Easy, easy to break, but the uh, the creator of all these good things that we value in this trilogy. Yeah, how bound it, guys? We went deeper right there, meta. That's what you get from the Pop Culture Corndale podcast. <laughs> um, anything else you want to say about the the imaginary world of Unbreakable Split Glass? I I thought the special effects with Beast were awesome. I mean, you know, just
1: think about so he takes off his shirt and these veins pop out, and him the scenes of him climbing and. I mean, and bending stuff. It's just, it's just cool how they made it look look real. Bruce Willis throwing people across the room. I mean,
0: just it looks like like somebody could actually do that, you know. Mm-hmm. I really like, enjoyed the fight scene on the lawn of the institution. Yeah. I thought that was super well done for like a grounded superhero movie. Yeah. They really convinced me. Hey, I agree, though,
1: with you that it would be cool to have Hancock in this world. Yeah, I it Would, those, yeah, it would. But anyway?
0: I, I would love to see another Hancock movie. Uh, maybe we'll get that. I, I thought that was a really underappreciated superhero movie, but that's not here nor there in terms of the world of this f- franchise. So, Jerry, what's good, true and awesome here? Where can we see common grace? I thought the emphasis on doing
1: moral good from Bruce Willis, like he because he can do something. He has this burden of, I must do something. Um, and I think that that is helpful. Like, um, you know, we, when there is evil, we must fight it because we can. You know, we we need to stand up. We need to. And so he wasn't about self-protection. He was about, um, no, I, I've got to fight this evil. I've got to stop this evil. And um, he saved many lives because of that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I also thought now I don't expect this, you know, if if there's a woman out there listening to this who's been kidnapped, I don't expect her to find it in her heart to sympathize with the person who did that to her. Mm-hmm. But I did appreciate that Anya Taylor-Joy's character could see through to the one personality that's also a victim, you know, mm-hmm. and kind yeah. of stuck along for the ride with these other more malicious entities living in his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate that. So, you know, again, I was more affected by the death of Kevin Wendell Crumb than I expected to be. Mm-hmm. When he died in her arms, I thought that was really poignant and moving. And mm-hmm. uh, it, to the degree that it shows, like, you know, victim doesn't have to be defined by their victimhood or their victimization, I guess, even mm-hmm. towards their victimizer. That, yeah. that forgiveness can be found and even even a desire to like care and restore that person you know I think um Rachel Dinaholllander did I say her name right yeah um I you know not in the same way, but sort of a similar model where when you know when she was speaking to her abuser in the courtroom she she called to him to believe on Jesus. Jeff, for
1: our listeners who don't know, Jeff's talking about the case, the real case, real-life case of Larry Nassar and his abuse of gymnasts, and uh, Rachel Denhollander was the one who kind of blew the case open and accused him first, and this army of women um, came out as well, but she – you, go look up her video go ahead, buddy
0: just that it was it was deeply christian deeply oh, yeah. christ like too amazing amazing she and, I mean and it, it doesn't deny the very real evil he'd done mm-hmm. it just calls him to to find refuge from his own evil, and the judgment is brought down on him in Jesus Christ
1: mm-hmm. I think he wept in the courtroom while she was speaking, so, you know, and I don't know his heart, but
0: good grief she was a what a compassionate just, speech! I mean, yeah. What what a what a wonderfully Christian image. That, they that need to make small. a movie about her. Just,
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that would she be incredible. Uh, anything else that's good, true, and awesome here that we want to talk about?
1: That was the main thing for me. Um, just to and
0: the other one you brought up. But. Well, let's um, let's talk. I think where you and I diverge a little bit is on what's distorted, evil, and false here. So sure. that's the fourth question we ask: How do we subvert idolatry? And you've kind of laid out some of the strokes of your position. You see this as moral relativism, where good and evil are held in balance. Am I right in that summary? Yes, other, except that, that you got to put
1: necessary in there, that evil is necessary. So I, I think the scene at the end where you have Glass's mother and Dunn's son and the uh, beast's lover, I, I, I don't know, that Kevin's lover, Wait, uh, what? Kevin's lover. Not Kevin's lover. Ke- I, I say lover by lover. I don't mean that they had a relationship. I mean. Oh, the young lady who cares. For, yeah, cares. For, oh, yeah. This K- was, Casey Cook
0: is that character played by Anya and Taylor Joy.
1: OK, Casey. Yeah. So when those three at the end are holding hands, there's this they know and they implement the plan that was Glass's plan, Glass Glass has been a psycho from, (laughs) I mean, it's undeniable that he's been a psycho. Not only that, but but Dunn's son has helped his father fight against, and he knows the history. I mean, and then to join hands with Glass's mother, knowing that they're going to create more people like Glass. I mean, they they know that that's what they're going to do. Now, they're going to create more Dunns. You see, they're 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 arguing that it's necessary. Like in order to create more duns, we got to create more glasses. Uh, just that's what I mean by like. I think that was the overall argument um, of the movie. And you you know what you said about self self actualization, but it's I think it's more pointed that um, self actualization for evil and for good, and you got to have both in order to have good. Yeah.
0: Well. Let me let me throw my vision at you. Uh, I'm not sure. saying you'll find it more compelling, but I, I did take a slightly different take on this. I think this movie is named Glass because it rehabilitates glass. Hmm. But he slits the dude throat anyway. Yeah. Hey, don't get me wrong. I know it. I'm not saying that this movie has a has a, a moral message that believers should embrace. I'm just saying I think this movie wants to rehabilitate glass. Does that make sense? It- well, he, he tells Beast how to kill... Why does he want to kill Dunn? Well, so what I understand is going on in this movie is that we are led to believe that the conflict is between the good character and the two evil characters. You know, Glass tells Crumb at one point, this sounds like two when the bad guys team up, right? hmm But I think in Shyamalanian fashion, that's a faint and what this turns out to be is a movie about the special people versus this conspiracy that has been holding them down through the years. Mm-hmm. So Glass goes from the evil mastermind who is engineering basically terroristic destruction to a Magneto-like character. So if if you get that reference, listeners, mm-hmm. you know, in the X-Men, Magneto is a bad guy, but he's he's one that we're given a lot of ways to empathize with, you know, because he was in a, in a concentration camp, he has these categories of his people versus broader society. You know, he feels a desire to protect his, his people from broader society. And so he's a bad guy, but he's a bad guy. Whose motivations you can kind of relate to. Mm -hmm. Well, I think Glass is supposed to be painted as a Magneto style character because he is working to create a world where this conspiracy can't continue to hold down special people like himself and like Dunn and like Crumb. Mm. And so he engineers these guys to be in conflict, not just because he wants to see comic books play out in real life. But because it's the mechanism by which he'll out the conspiracy and uh, and be able to counterpunch in such a way that they're undone when they move against him and done and crumb. And so I think we're supposed to come away going, oh, Glass had a point, you know, like hashtag Thanos did nothing wrong. I think this is hashtag Glass had a point. Hmm. And so he's working to liberate his people, the gifted from the oppression of this conspiracy. Okay. And so I think that's the moral framework of this movie. And that's why I see self-actualization as the good it holds out. The people will go find out how special they are and in what way they're special. And that glass has become the means by which they know to do that. Okay. And uh, so for me, in my read of this movie, what's distorted evil and false here is the old lie that the problems in my life are outside of me. And the solutions to the problems of my life are inside of me. So the reason that I don't live the life I want to is because someone is oppressing me or someone is immorally hoarding all the wealth or they have denied me the opportunities that would justly otherwise be given to me. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the problem. I'm the hero of the story. And if I'm going to, you know, if things are going to get better for me, I'm going to have to look within sort of Oprah, Dr. Phil style, new age spirituality. I'm going to look within myself. I'm going to self-actualize. I'm going to believe with confidence in my specialness. And in doing so, I'm going to find the resources within myself to overcome even these unjust oppressors who, you know, stand outside of me powerfully to to hold me back. Hmm. That seems to be the conflict that Dr. Ellie puts All three of those guys into, you know, the conflict may be between the overseer, the beast and glass, but they're all in conflict with Ellie and the conspiracy she represents. Mm -hmm. And the thing she does to to depower them is to make them doubt that they're special. Right. And so I think this is saying, you know, don't doubt that you're special. Don't let the haters or the one percent or. The Illuminati or whatever group outside of you that you want to name as the bad guy, don't let them hold you back. You go do you, and you'll find in doing so that you've overcome these evildoers. Mm -hmm. So that's my read on what's evil and false here. The, The false idea that humans love to believe that the problems outside of them and the solutions inside of them when in reality... The problem is inside of them. And the only solution under heaven whereby we might be saved is outside of them in the Lord Jesus Mm Christ.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So that takes me right to how the gospel applies. And in my system, I'm going to tell you, don't believe the. you know, you can enjoy this movie. I enjoyed this movie. But don't believe its moral framework. You don't have... The resources inside of you. You are justly condemned. Your conscience is not lying to you unless it's telling you you're a good person. And the solution to that is not found within you. The solution to that is in the work of Christ on the cross outside of you, but which you can experience by His grace through faith. So really and truly, you need to flip the message, as I read it, of glass. Look outside of yourself to Jesus Christ for mm-hmm. the only remedy to the very real problems inside of you, and that you, you know, that you express in your outward actions, right? So, what comes, you know, what goes into a man is not what defiles him; it's what comes out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, the defilement is inside, and we bring it out through our actions. Well, in Christ, that's not true. He is righteous and good, and yet suffered as if he were vile and unrighteous. And therefore, you know, rising from the from the death that vile people deserves, he's the only hope. For the human condition, and again, it's outside of us. Mm-hmm. So tell me where I'm wrong. Push back on that. No, I think
1: uh, I think your application of the gospel is is right on. Um, I mean, uh, I think the emphasis of of the movie is, you know, what I said earlier concerning the balance of of good and evil, arguing that they're necessary, and the so the gospel would be that well, good is eternal god is God is the supreme good the def, very definition of good omni good and um you know we it's not about us finding out who we are, it's about us submitting to who God tells us we are and thus who we need to be, and us so this is where the the law comes in, telling us who we need to be and us falling short of that, and thus instead of running to the mirror, which is what this movie argues we run to Christ for salvation we run you know it is similar to the movie 8th grade where we talk about identity finding our identity in Christ and not in our realizing how special we are or realizing how you know that we've got to like you said do you whether that's good or evil i'm going to do be the best mastermind i can be or the best beast i can be or the best um you know hero i can be instead it's my identity is in Christ, in his goodness, and thus I seek to mirror his goodness because that's – I'm already there. There's a sense in Christ where I'm already in the new Jerusalem, where I'm already seated at the right hand of God with him. Um, I'm in the holy of holies in heaven, and um, those are spiritual realities that are true because of my union with Christ by the, by the Holy Spirit – um, and so that's what I should be. My identity should be there uh, in Him, not in the mirror, and um, and uh, that that's super freeing because I don't have to, you know, I don't I don't have to be a glass or a beast or a even a hero. Um, Christ, being the ultimate hero, frees me to pursue being like Him because I know that my salvation, my inheritance, my eternity is based on what Christ has already accomplished. And so I'm not out here trying to accomplish it again. Um, I'm actually out here
0: pursuing to be like him while falling on my face. Yeah, this story already, the, the actual story that's playing out in history already has a hero. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to mess things up if we try to get in the way of that and, and yeah. eventually get pushed aside, even even though, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's what's really cool, man, is that you know, in the end, we're placed side by side with the hero. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are the bride of Christ by virtue of the husband, um, and we're going to stand side by side with him and rule for all eternity. We're going to judge fallen angels. We're going to judge the world. We're—I mean, it's—it's it's really remarkable how the Bible portrays us, and—and um, and it's all by virtue of what he's done. And so, I don't have to do what this movie. Encourages me to do as a matter of fact listener I would argue that it's a trap um, that that
0: that's the path to misery not fulfillment I think that's a good argument so look to Christ and yeah. you know we hope that this is you know I hope that listeners of this podcast if they're talking to a lost neighbor who you know who knows what they know about the Christian faith. They can say, hey, you know, I I enjoyed that movie, too, and I I thought it was peddling uh, a, a common, you know, misunderstanding that a lot of people believe that, you know, go into the problems outside of, you know, the problems outside of me, the solutions inside and just say, no, no, I think actually that's not the case. I think the problems inside me and the solutions outside and. You know, use this as a conversation starter to to share the gospel. So we're hoping, listener, if you're new to this episode, which by the way, thank you for listening and thanks for hanging around late into the game because we went <laughs> into extra innings on this. But we hope you're seeing the glory of God in in the analysis of this movie that we're doing. And we hope you're learning to do this on your own. If this is not something you're accustomed to doing, you may be, but if not, we hope you're learning. And if uh, if you know, in addition to those other two things, we're hoping that you're learning how to talk to your neighbor about the kind of themes we're we're highlighting here that speak to the gospel, that uh, that you can make use of to to help someone who may not understand the claims of Christ maybe get a sense of it a little bit better. Uh, Jared, you got anything else to say about Glass? No, that's it, man. I I really enjoyed this movie. I think I'll
1: buy it when it comes out.
0: Yeah, I think I think I will now buy all three of these.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh. So let me ask you. We we talked earlier about Shyamalan. This is the last bit of uh, you know work I want to do on this. You can find listings of his best movies to his worst movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me let me sort out what we we think of his his best movies. Okay. Okay. Are you and I in agreement that his best movie is The Sixth Sense? Yes. Okay. So we have The Sixth Sense. Do you want to nominate another movie for his second best movie? The Village. Okay. So I'm a big fan of The Village as well. And The Village, uh, you know, it wasn't as good as The Sixth Sense, but it was close enough. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Would you go with Signs, Unbreakable, Split, Glass, or The Visit for number three? Sons. Okay. So we we clearly like early Shyamalan best, right? hmm So then would you say, well, let me ask you this. If we could consider this trilogy as all one story, would it be the number four story for you that he's told? I believe so. Or, yeah, it would be. Okay. So just for our listeners who may see this as a cop-out Um, I'm going to suggest that the quality of these movies goes in reverse order of their release. So I think Glass is the best movie. I think Mm -hmm. Split is the next best movie. And I think Unbreakable is the third. Agree Mm -hmm. or disagree? I think so. I would
1: say that Split and Unbreakable are close, very close. Yeah. Um, I mean, I enjoyed Unbreakable. I thought it was really well done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I did too. I don't mean to be critical. I just... I think actually the, how much I like these movies uh, split and glass has helped me like Unbreakable more. Mm-hmm. So we've got Sixth Sense, The Village, Signs, Unbreakable, Split, Glass in some order, but as one in number four. So in my mind, that leaves us with The Visit, um, The Happening, and maybe Devil mm-hmm. as the next candidate. Which one you, would you pick? The Visit. I would go The Visit as well. Fine Minds Think alike. So just taking a guess here, would you put The Happening next? Now, nah, Devil. You would put Devil.
1: Okay. See
0: mm-hmm. I would put, yeah, I guess I would put Devil 2. And we have now covered the movies from M. Night Shyamalan that I think are good movies. Mm-hmm. I would have a tier, a tier one is The Sixth Sense all by itself. Mm-hmm. The Village Signs Unbreakable Split Glass would be a second tier that sort of captures a whole bunch of his movies that are really good, but they're not quite at the level of the sixth sense. Mm -hmm. Then I would put The the Visit in a third tier if we were doing like fantasy football, and then I would put Devil in a fourth tier. Mm -hmm. And I think everything else after that is not a tier so much as a sewer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Lady in the Water really threw me off. Uh, Yeah. Did you see The Last Airbender? I did not impressed at all. Better or worse than Lady in the Water. That's difficult. Um, I would put those together. See, I can't imagine a movie being any comparably bad as Lady in the Water. That movie was just awful. Like I probably would watch A Dog's Way Home before I would watch Lady in the Water again. After Lady
1: in the Water, it's you. It makes you wonder if he wrote it. If was he on an acid trip, LSD? Yeah. Um. I mean, it was just crazy. Yeah. Was it not crazy?
0: Yeah. Did you see After Earth with Will and Jaden Smith?
1: Now I did. Was that Shyamalan?
0: Yeah. Okay. And it, you know, it basically killed Will and Jaden's careers. Yeah, I would. But I would still put it. I think it's better than The Happening and Lady in the Water and Airbender. OK, see, I didn't see it. I would put Lady in the Water as the worst, the worst movie I ever saw from him. Mm-hmm. I have I'm never going to watch that. Uh, sorry. Last Airbender or After Earth. And there are certain scenes in The Happening that I think are pretty cool. Yeah, um, You know, there's, there's the old lady who lives in, like, a farmhouse in The Happening. Yeah. It's the same actress who played Kevin Wendell Crumb's therapist in Split. Okay. And when she goes full crazy at the end of that movie, it's legit scary. Yeah. So, like, it has at least that redeemable element, which Lady in the Water didn't. Yeah. So then how would you sort? What's his worst movie in your mind? Lady in the Water. Okay. And then what's his next to worst? Um... Probably The Airbender. Okay. Then would you do The Happening or would you do uh, After Earth? I would do The Happening and then After Earth. Okay. And then he has a movie that came out before The Sixth Sense that I've never seen that has Rosie O'Donnell in it called Wide Awake. And it's like a kid's comedy. And I'm hmm. just not going to count it because it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of his movies. Yeah. So we we have come up with the definitive list uh, ranking of M. Night Shyamalan movies. And so you think After Earth is better than The Happening? I do. Okay. So we would go in reverse order, Lady in the Water, Airbender, Happening, After Earth, Devil, The Visit, Unbreakable Split Glass, in some order, Signs, The Village, The Sixth Sense. And uh, I'll try to make that available in the various social media uh, outlets we have so people can talk about it. All right, man. So the Sixth cents is the best thing you ever made. Lady in Water is the worst. And we can walk you through... The other rankings via our social media, which, by the way, guys, join us on Facebook. There's a lot of reasons to not be on Facebook. So I get why you may not log on as often as you used to. But one of the best reasons to be on Facebook is our Facebook group, the Pop Culture Quorum Deo Perpetual After Party. It is a long title, but it's heaps of fun. Uh, I was Mm -hmm. in there talking with some of the members of that group just today about Oscar nominations. And so we would love to connect with you. Uh, You can get at us through email at PCCDPod at gmail.com. We're at PCCDPod on Twitter. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash PCCDPod. And we have a subreddit, reddit.com forward slash R forward slash PCCDPod. But specifically the Facebook group. Our perpetual after party is 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 a place we'd love to hear from you. And you can find that by going to our Facebook page and right underneath the banner. There's a big blue button that says visit group. You click that you're in the group and uh, or it takes you to the group. Rather, you ask to join. We approve you. And then we talk about pop culture to all of our hearts content in there. Uh, Jared, outside of the world of pop culture, Quorumdale, where can they find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Jared H. Moore. You can find me on Facebook at All
1: Truth is God's Truth. I've got another podcast called All Truth is God's Truth. Check it out. And uh, come interact with us. Uh, Jeff and I are starting to write um, articles for monergism. And so be sure to check out the blog on monergism.com.
0: All right, guys. Well, we are thankful that you tuned in to this episode. And we will be back to you soon with our next. uh, Jared, you got any Idea, what you want to cover next time? I have no idea, man. I've been trying to find something, so we need some suggestions from folks. All right, guys, get us your recommendations. We will do everything we can to be back with you next week for a new episode. Uh, Until then, guys, let me remind you to live all of your life as if you are doing so before the face of God because you are. Talk to you next time.